0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Ride Share Rodeo gig news and interviews. I'm your host, Steve. Let's get it on. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday, Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Um, this is a special edition of Rideshare Rodeo. And uh, I'm excited to have Karen here today. Karen Anderson, um, freelancers against AB5. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, this because I, I, I've been actu- actually talking to a lot of people about Prop 22 recently. And honestly, almost nobody knows why Prop it's that's a whole separate issue, but almost nobody understands why prop 22 even happened. Nobody that I know. Like if I try and like, if I, if we try and get to the root of it, nobody is like, Oh, that's because of AB five. They just think that prop 22 just popped up and here it is. This is going to happen. And well, why, why would that happen? You know? So, I mean, like, I guess it's getting more to the root of the damage that was done by this insane law instead of what, the value is to gig workers because I think I've even talked to you about this, Karen, but I recently had Sergio on for the 300th episode. And we, we were talking about how really rideshare drivers don't even benefit from prop 22. It's only the food delivery people. And when they did the carve out, they didn't really know the pandemic was coming. So they didn't know to carve out these extremely low base pay numbers for like DoorDash or Uber Eats. And they just kind of were like, well, you know, let's, um, I don't know. Let's 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 carve this out. And then the way it worked, the rideshare drivers aren't really being paid anything, but the but you can take no tip orders all day long and you'll get 120% of the minimum wage in your area. So, like what is a base pay of two or one dollar here in Colorado? So you can't do more than two dashes an hour. Maybe some people can say, Oh, I can get a third in. Okay, let's call it three. And if your base pays at two bucks, and you're gonna get three, and that's six dollars. Yeah. California even on no tip orders is saying we'll pay you 120% of minimum wage no matter where you live um Instacart's another good example you know Instacart has lowered their base pay from eight to seven to now four four dollars base pay for what normally takes an hour to an hour and a half minimal of your time so in here in Colorado you're going to be paid four dollars to do an hour and a half's worth of work you should just shouldn't be dumb enough to take that in California you'll be paid 120% of minimum wage.
1: Right.
2: But minimum wage varies from city to city in California too.
0: Well, that's what I'm yeah, that's what I'm saying, because I think you guys vary from like sixteen almost to twenty, because there's like right. San Francisco's like nineteen eighty-eight or something.
2: No, the Prop 22 included all those quasi benefits and protections. And you know, from what I understand, the healthcare stipend, you know, is not lived up to what, you know, they they promised. And of course that would you know, come back to bite them when they're, they they tried to carve out, they try to make a whole classification employment law around their own sector, you know, rather than just repealing, rather than just asking the voters, let us remain independent contractors and leave it at that. They put in all of these other pages upon pages of, of, you know, legal, uh, legalese and quasi benefits and quasi protections and some of yeah. them some of them make sense to me
0: right and i mean there and they're still i mean they do but i mean like we were talking about that too sergio's in la and he was telling me how difficult it actually is to get those benefits right like the qualifications are much tougher than I thought. It's not like you're just on the gig app and you get some benefits. That's not how it works. And I think it's limited
2: to covered California. You know what? I told my gardener <laughs> not to do the
0: leaf blowing. That's the gardener doing the leaf blowing, guys. <laughs> you didn't understand me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, what we're. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: sorry. A perfect timing.
1: He should be got uh, a minute.
0: well we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of just you know lorenna gonzalez
2: passed a law that uh, outlaw leaf blowers i think it's going to go into effect (laughs) at some point i think she probably had a had a leaf blowing incident during a zoom call and she decided to write a bill about it
0: (laughs) so what is i mean what is the current state of repeal ab5 anyway like in your mind or like how that Is there any momentum there is there any
2: it's just so there's just so much confusion around ab5 to begin with even here in california even amongst you know media They, they they just can't keep their facts straight about it a lot of people conflate ab5 with prop 22 so they think prop 22 actually repealed ab5 for everybody or for all gig workers And that's how it gets written about and regurgitated over and over again in the media. So it's hard to get people to take things seriously because a lot of the 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 death by a thousand cuts is happening. You know, like I hear about it in my group, but you know, it's just when all the exemptions there were a lot of exemptions that were added to the bill um, after it was passed nine months later. And so a lot of the really vocal groups, like musicians and interpreters and translators and writers even, Mm -hmm. uh, and performing artists, they just sort of peeled away from the fight. And so it's, it's really kind of playing out in the courts. We had a really interesting ruling that happened back in March that with the Ninth Circuit, and I could go into detail about that, you know, a little later, but ba- basically they, they said that it is probable that AB5 and its exemptions violates the uh, Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment in relation to how the author of the bill, René Gonzalez, uh, was targeting Ubers and Lyft, particularly with, with animus, built-in animus and bias.
0: Do you, I mean, does anybody really... I don't really buy that she wrote that thing anyway. By the way, like when you say author, there's so many attorneys that authored that thing. What what did she really do?
2: Well, she. she I mean, she just signed
0: the, her name. She just signed her name to a document. No, right? she
2: was in the mix of it because she was talking to a lot of a lot of upset people, um, who, you know, and, and trying to, I, you know, I, I equate her to Dr. Frankenstein because that's what AB5 is. It's just a mess of a mishmash and of, of you know, arbitrary, nonsensical, convoluted um, language that has to play out in the courts. And, and a lot of it, you know, it, it applies to every single worker and every single business in the state of California. It's not just about Uber and Lyft.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Everybody is subject to AB5 and the ABC test of AB5, which derived from the Dynamics decision of 2018 in the California Supreme Court.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously that's something that we'll get into here because I, some of these things that we'll get into you guys are, uh, we're going to play this through for the Lorena piece. Because when I interviewed Lorena and I think Karen, you know this too, like I had all of my questions prepared and I was a little taken off by the answers, which isn't normally my way of, of being on the lives. Like I'm not used to being so taken like, wait, really? That doesn't seem right. You know, and it's hard to call somebody out on that when they're the professor of law, or whatever, and you're trying to do and you know, a, an even-heeled try and be neutral party. But it, when things are just wrong, it just feels wrong. So I thought, I mean, literally, I've said this before. I feel like you know more than some of your even state legislators and people who have signed on to AB5. I feel like you know more about it than they do, and they they signed the damn thing into law.
2: Well, I've had a front row seat to every last aspect of it for the last three and a half years, all the yep. stories that were coming in and all of, you know, and I also like to keep myself really informed and I will read the opposition viewpoint and their papers and their theses and, and everything else. I want to, I want to know what they're thinking and what they're saying, you yep. know, so, so that, you know, some of it, you know, they, they, um they try to pull up, pull the wool over your eyes with their excuses. Yeah. And if you really knew what the dynamics decision was really about, then you would know that using that as an excuse to write a b five and is 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 completely bogus,
0: yeah, and I guess I mean, we might as well jump into this piece here because there's gonna be a lot of talking points here, but um, hey, Derek, hi, Cesie. What's up, Rick? Hey Carnaich. how are you guys all doing? everybody watching? Excuse me while I'm just playing with my fingers down here. I told Karen I'm trying to get a bunch of glue off my hand, but um. We'll play this piece, and then um, I'll take a break at, at the point at the breaking points of where Vina stops talking, to you guys, because this is why you're going to hear two ex- extreme sides because Karen and Vina do not see eye to eye on this at all, really. Um, this is, but this is my point to it is that you know it's there's a lot to be taken in, you know, like, but I feel like this piece needs to be leveled out with the other side because if you just hear this alone it almost might sound like a good idea even to those who know better but let's see so we'll 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 jump in it's you kind of got to in the beginning we're just getting to know Vina a little bit here and this was my conversation with her and then we'll stop at the breaking points unless karen wants to stop before those um we'll see my, where we get here
2: i'll raise my hand if i hear something i
0: You can't hear that? Mm -mm. Hmm. (laughs) I wonder why. I wonder if I could just play it off my phone into my mic and keep us in the other view. Let me try that. Because that might be easier, actually.
2: Well, while you're getting that set up, I, I want to say that Vina Ve- DuBall was sort of a, a nemesis of the freelancers um, back when the law was first passed. A lot of people took issue with things that she was tweeting and saying about the law and how it was not affecting us. Or, And so right. she's, she's a law professor. She did
1: not. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah all right so i'll i'll play i'm going to play it off my phone here so it'll go through my mic i'll be able to see if you have a question that way a lot quicker too okay great <laughs> so i think now we'll be in a interested in what it meant to be um you
2: know experiences
0: with can you hear that i saw
1: why did it not
0: work when I pulled it up on here? That should work. Hmm.
1: Okay,
0: one I got one other thing I can try here. First, thanks for coming up today, Vina. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Oh, I I know what I'm going to have to do here. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Oh, you can hear me. I can't hear you.
2: You can't.
0: <laughs> oh no! No, no, I can. Yeah. Okay. So okay.
1: Particular sort of struggle.
3: Can you hear that? Um, as we were growing up. And- yes, I can, I can
1: hear that. Those- I want to turn it up a little bit.
3: Um, you know, experiences with working class immigrant men—the sort of things that um, push them to certain places in the labor market and. Um, This holiday season, how you celebrate? A lot. After 9/11, I saw um, I there was a taxi driver in in San Francisco who was murdered um, in what many thought was a hate crime, and he was coincidentally the brother of another um, gentleman who was also murdered in the first 9/11 hate crime. Um, is a really tragic family story. And so I sort of was. I wanted to. I was, you know, a young um, college student, and I wanted to reach out to um, people who were being racialized as Muslim, um, who were working in the public um, public sphere, and sort of document what their experiences were. And so I, um, I, because Sukhpal Singh Sodhi, who had died, was a taxi driver. I um, started hanging out with taxi drivers in the San Jose airport and um was sort of asking them what their experiences had been like and i and i heard a lot of really harrowing stories about hate violence and um and you know hate language but what i was most surprised about was that these was the way in which these drivers worked um i didn't understand at that point that the way the taxi industry worked was that you had to pay for your shift Um, you paid for your shift and you paid for your gas and gate system, um, and that in a period of very little demand, like after 9-11 when no one was traveling and there were no tourists in the Bay Area, workers actually were losing money when they went home. And I thought that was just like a a fascinating phenomenon that in in America you could work for 12 hours and go home with nothing in your pocket. And and soon after that, I went to law school. And after law school, I started a taxi worker project here in San Francisco, um, and then did my dissertation on a century worth of taxi worker organizing. And then, um, uh, you know, as I was filing my dissertation, I started hearing from taxi workers about how there were these, just like 2013, um, how there were these people in just regular unmarked cars um you know cutting front of them cutting in front of them at the hotel lines um and they seem to be summoned there uh, via you know people's smartphones and how these people were operating illegally um, and I really didn't think very much of it. I, you know, there's a long history of, um, of illegal limo competition in San Francisco and in most urban areas, the black cars, and I thought, well, this is like the black car um, system, but it's going to go away because I didn't at the time think it was, it, was, it was going to catch on. I didn't think that people would get into other people's cars. Um, and that were largely unregulated. And I I sort of thought that the city would would put an end to it. Um, And of course they didn't. Um, Mayor Ed Lee, who has since passed, um, really celebrated Lyft in particular, He even declared, I think it was July 2013 or 2014, Lyft Day officially in San Francisco, and and saw this as a way to attract a lot of tech money um, into the Bay Area. And soon after that, um, you know, and, and do do in large part, I think, to um, to the the connections that these companies, Uber and Lyft, lobbyists had. Um, the 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 companies were legalized in California, and what became the first set of state regulations. Um, I think in 2014 and they created this category called the transportation network company and what's interesting is that they they created this legal category and there were some regulations in the state state. Um, that were promulgated by the state body called the California public utilities committee that or Commission that regulates um, the transportation network companies, but there was nothing with regard to labor so even though the taxi workers had been independent contractors um, they had. Um, regulated fares, they had regulated leases, and they had regulated demand. And as a result, um, except in periods of really low demand, like post 9-11, um, or, you know, would have been the case during the pandemic, workers were were able to make, you know, not bad living. Um, it was unprotected work, largely, but in, in, in San Francisco, they had workers' compensation and unemployment insurance. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, Cars were, were flooded, there were a flood of Uber and Lyfts in the Bay Area, medallions became worthless overnight, um, and slowly but surely uh, what, what we knew was going to happen was wages were going to drop, and that was certainly the case between 2016 and 2018. Wages drop precipitously for um, for workers in California for Uber and Lyft drivers in California, and that's of course because the wages previous to that time had been highly subsidized by venture capital funding. Um, and so, you asked me how we got to eighty-five. So I, I know that I that, that there are um, that there are wings of, of of Twitter that think that I am responsible for eighty-five, but in fact. Um, the way we got 85 in California was through this decision called Dynamics, um, which was really, I think many of us were watching this decision, but what they, the Supreme court did was unexpected. Um, and that is Dynamics was like, it was a decade long misclassification case involving that on the, de- right? yeah. yeah. Um, on demand, um, delivery drivers. Um, so okay. these were like the guys who, um, delivered Sears, Roebuck,
0: uh, yeah I was I was going to ask you about no, the same you you put the finger up there.
2: <laughs> sorry. It the was a same day delivery service of small packages and documents and they 1099 their employees in 2004 to become independent contractors and from what I've heard from people who who worked there they enjoyed being independent contractors and they didn't have you know a lot of issue with the company. But they were not driving trucks, delivering appliances and Sears, um, refrigerators that is, that did not happen.
0: Right. And I, well, I had asked her if, if anybody heard that too, I'm sure you did Karen. that I had asked her like, yeah, this is regarding the truckers. I thought this was more of a, of a big rig thing.
2: No, it was like the Uber and Lyft of small goods. In other words, these people on their own vehicles,
1: and mm-hmm. they could take
2: whatever dispatch they wanted to, to take, and and it was right, like of freight loaded yeah. boards. And stuff. So it's like either cargo vans or or their own their own vehicle, and they would take they would deliver small packages and documents, but not they were not truckers.
0: So where where are these people then coming from? Where was this movement of, of people for Dynamax?
2: Well, it's it's pronounced dynamics. A lot of people pronounce it dynamics, but um, there wasn't there was one guy's name was Charles Lee. He'd never done delivery driving before. He he joined the company and he worked for them for 15 days. And then three months later, he filed a wage violation claim for overtime. So it was one guy.
0: Okay, so this wasn't even really a big movement.
2: No, there was no big movement. According to the people that I, that are in my group that used to work for Dynamics, uh, they they ninety five percent of the drivers enjoyed being independent contractors, even though maybe maybe the company was violating the Burrellow standard. Who knows? But um, at that time they kept they kept prevailing in the court. So she was right. It was that the the court the litigation went on for almost ten years. But he he filed suit. He filed his claim three months after only working for for the company for fifteen days. So some people think that he might have been a plant.
0: Hmm. Okay.
3: Books, I... appliances, and they had been converted overnight from employees to independent contractors, um, and they were mad because they lost all their benefits. And um, and. These lawyers sued on their behalf and 10 years into the litigation, they, um, the plaintiffs won. It's a quiet determination to be there for our patients, for our
2: communities, for each other.
3: And the California Supreme Court in their decision said, you know, um, basically we're tired of companies trying to get out from underneath wage laws.
2: They didn't say they were tired of this. They, what they said.
0: (laughs) That's not a quote. (laughs) No. What they said was
2: that there was not a definition of an independent contractor in the wage order number nine that applied to the trucking industry in California. And wage orders are minimum wage, rest breaks, rest, rest breaks and meals and overtime. And this particular driver, his claim was about overtime. And so they had to come up with some kind of, of definition of what it means to be and to employ somebody. So they came up with this this ABC test eventually. Now, what Venus didn't tell you is that her paper outlining all of the, the ABC tests that could be used and applied to this case is cited in the California Supreme Court dynamics decision.
0: It's so, that's like, like, do you feel like Vena? I mean, is do you feel like she's giving me this shell answer? Does she know what you just said?
2: Yes, because she actually was quoted on her website. I have it right here. They definitely cited my paper to my paper, and the quote, the spirit of the paper, her paper, is imbued throughout the decision. So. If the spirit of the papers imbued throughout the decision in the ABC test is simply the dynamics decision codified, then she is one of the architects of AB Five. Right. Uh, because we have
3: wage laws to make sure that people who work are able to make have a modicum of dignity through their work, and so they said, in order to get at this issue of misclassification, what we're going to do is we're going to change the test for who is an employee. And, um prior to that time the test that was being used was um a test that was derived from tort law you know from like 18th century tort you're, law you're talking
0: about the IRS test
3: um no it wasn't the IRS test actually um okay. it was it was called the it's, it was a, the IRS is it test is derivative of the control test um and in California we had um, a test called the varello test that came um through another California Supreme.
2: She said we had a test called Borello. Borello is still applicable and in existence. If you if you don't pass the ABC test of AB5, you're still subject to the Borello test. So it's alive and well. It's gone, it's not gone anywhere.
0: But if you pass the ABC test, why would you need the Borello test? You, <laughs>
2: you because you could still the hiring entity could still be charged for misclassifying you based on control and direction, which is in the Borello test. So a lot of people, they might they might have an exemption via AB5, but that doesn't mean, I mean, they might have an exemption from the ABC test of AB5, but that doesn't mean that they can automatically be an independent contractor because they still have to pass the multi-factor totality of circumstances Borello test, which is a very f- much more flexible test and it's been in existence since 1989 but it's still not that easy to pass
1: right okay
3: decision in the early 90s late 80s um, that had to do with cucumber farmers um, who were essentially you know operating under the same um, same business model the farmer um, asked them to pick cucumbers Um, they had to bring their own their own Capital, you know, their own digging equipment, um, et cetera, to the fields, um, and then they got a percentage of whatever the um, whatever the farmer was able to sell. They got a percentage of it after after the sale was made. Um, and the and the court in that case said, you know, these these cucumber uh, pickers are are employees of the farmer of the grower. They are not independent contractors, and they they created this Borello test. And an element of all of the elements of the ABC test are actually embodied in the Borrello test. Um, But what prompted the court to do this, I think, was um, a whole other set of cases um, that involved FedEx ground transportation. Uh, I'm sorry, FedEx home delivery. So um, in in another series of misclassification cases involving FedEx, um, FedEx lost after a what amounted to about a billion dollars worth of misclassification litigation. Um, the Ninth Circuit said, using the Borello test, that these workers were employees. And instead of treating the workers like employees, they used the court's decision to redraw their business model.
0: <laughs>
3: Such that it looked like to reach out. Oops.
1: Oops.
3: California was through.
0: I lost the place. Sorry, guys. I had this all queued up on the other way, and I I guess Karen couldn't hear the audio. So let me bring, I hope that's about where we are. Robux.
3: Please. They used the court's decision to redraw their business model such that it looked like they had independent contractors. And so um, I think to get at the fact that. That the the control test was so easy to get out from under the Gorilla test was easy to for particularly deep pocketed employers to um, to manipulate the um, the California Supreme Court in dynamics in two thousand eighteen said you know for wage purposes we're going to use the ABC test um, this is a test that has been used in over half of the states for unemployment insurance. Um, laws to determine who gets unemployment insurance and workers' compensation and now we're going to use it for wage purposes in California. Um, I not to say it, that. it became very clear to
2: um she's right that there's ABC tests in other states, but they're not the ABC test in California is the strictest classification test in the nation because um in other states like she mentioned it And I think there's only in the dynamics decision, they said they cite that there's 14 states that use it. I don't know. It might be closer to 18 or 20, but um, it's generally used for narrow applications. And the B prong, which is so problematic in the California's ABC test, oftentimes is multi pronged. I mean, it's it's it has two parts to it. So it may it's it's it makes it much more easy, not easy, but it's not as as impossible to pass as, the, as California's ABC test. California's B prong says that the work that's being done has to be outside the usual course of business of the hiring entity. So that would mean a writer like me cannot be an independent contractor for a for a publishing company or a newspaper because we're in the same line of business so it's really almost next to impossible to pass.
0: Yeah, I never really understood why, if that, if they were really going for that, that was the truth. Why, um, why somebody would even be able to write a certain amount of articles, like how you were for it, like that, always threw me a bit. Like, well, you can write five or ten. Like, why, why would it be any if they're misclassified?
2: Well, Vienna, do, I'm not I saying mean, that
0: you are misclassified. I'm just saying, like, why would there even be this? Well, you that. Lorena
2: Gonzalez, the author of the of AB5, originally in the first iteration of the bill, put a cap on writers that we were restricted to only writing 35 pieces or submissions per year for a single uh, outlet or whatever. And so she was thinking in terms of and she was her thinking was an anachronistic. She's thinking in terms of people in cubicles writing. You know, thousand-word articles for for newspapers, and she wasn't taking into account the, the 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 new way that that writers work. I mean, you could burn through thirty-five submissions with just a couple of blog posts, you know, in a week or even a day. Right. You know, so yeah. it was clearly unconstitutional, and she did lift that cap.
0: Right. I feel like that was just to me though. That always was like a negative on their own story, even though it was like, well, you get to do this freely. I felt like. By you saying that number, it's
2: well. She it's gave only them an exemption
0: legally do thirty-five a year.
2: She gave writers and and cartoonists and everybody an exemption, but it came with all these different caveats, and that was one of them. So just because they had an exemption, it was partial. And one of the caveats originally was that you could only do thirty-five. So that affected people like co- weekly columnists. So you had we had people coming into our group that was like a. Uh, a cartoonist for the LA times, a column, a movie reviewer for Forbes and even Willie Brown, who, who was the mayor of San Francisco had a weekly column in the San Francisco Chronicle. And when he reached his 35, which is, you know, half a year, cause there's 52 weeks in a year, he mm-hmm. started screaming off the rooftops. What the hell is going on? This is ridiculous. These unions are bastards. I never would have let this, <laughs> this pass. Cause he was in the, he was the, uh, he was a speaker of the assembly at one time. So he he uh a lot of people just lost their their clients overnight as writers and journalists. And then the, the LA Times guy was great because he started lampooning um Lorena Gonzalez with his cartoons, and we had a whole bunch of cartoons come through that he that he did lampooning her and her, her and her putrid law. <laughs>
0: Didn't uh, didn't um, I'm drawing it? Didn't Lisa make some of those too?
2: Yes, Lisa made some. <laughs> we had a bunch of cartoonists making cartooning, making cartoons of Lorena Gonzalez, and in yeah. fact, uh, Jim Jim Thompson, the the LA Times sports uh, former, LA Times sports uh, cartoonist, he had he did a cartoon of Fina Duval. <laughs>
3: Tech companies. That this meant that they were going to have to provide um, minimum wage and overtime protections to drivers. Um, and so, instead of you know obeying the law like a lot of small mom and pop businesses did, they decided to um, to try and get out from under the law. And um,
2: instead, I have a I have a question about that. She she calls the Dynamics decision a law,
1: mm-hmm. but.
2: I was under the impression that the courts don't make laws, the legislature does, and that this was a more of an interpretation of a a wage order that came from a state agency. So when she says uh, she's talking about the dynamics decision, it Mm -hmm. it was very narrow. It didn't apply to every you know everybody under the sun because it was just about overtime and wage
0: orders okay
3: um assemblywoman Lorena gonzalez said you know instead of instead of letting you get your way we're going to celebrate this law and we're going to put it into the california labor code so we're going to take it from being judge made law um that the, that the court wrote and we're going to um pass it as the leg- as part of the legislature um and as a, as a legislature and and put it directly into um into the, the 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 labor code and she extended it so the california supreme court had just had it um for wage purposes and she extended it to apply
2: to
0: by the way that's the second time she said they had just had it <laughs> I just needed to point that out.
2: Were, you know, clutching their pearls <laughs> to judges and just going, oh, my God, we just can't pay. Them anymore. No, you know, and, and the thing about the, the dynamics decision is that I just found out that um, and I, I mean, I'm just recalling now that even within the context of the drivers at dynamics, there were they there were certain uh, independent contractors that were, that were exempted from that dynamics decision within the young co- the, the company, because if you had more than one client, it only applied to you if you were a driver just driving for dynamics, but a lot of the drivers, uh, you know, drove for other companies. So the decision, the dynamics decision actually ex- ex- exempted so many different types of drivers if they had, if they had, uh, you know, if they had other clients. So what so the reason that I'm mentioning this, and it, it might be in the weeds a little bit, but when so many people from all across the vast swaths of professions lost their livelihoods overnight and were, were you know, calling their, their assembly people and their local legislatures and stuff and just in a panic, what's happening? What, how can this be? What have you done? You've ruined my career. Um, they would always use a dynamics decision as an excuse. Well, we had to create AB 5 to protect you. From from the ABC test of dynamics because you would have been subjected to it anyways which is completely false and it's a trope or narrative that they that they have perpetuated over and over and over again to, to this day yeah because it you know the, that wage wages don't apply to people like doctors and lawyers and accountants and and engineers and and people that don't you know the wages are hourly it's about hours
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I think that we'll get to that, too, because at some point she mentions money, like how much money you're making would affect your your status. And that that I already know not to be true, too.
3: Right. To apply to all of the labor code and the unemployment insurance, code, which meant that, um, you know. There was a presumption of employment for all workers in California, and that in order for them to get out from underneath the the law, if a hiring entity wanted to use an independent contractor, not an employee, they had to satisfy this three-part test. And critically, they had to prove that the person was doing something different. The worker was doing something different um, than the usual course of the company's business. And so it was going to be very hard for a company like uber to say well uber drivers are doing something different than what we uber corporation are doing Um, and in fact when the law was nominally enforced by the um, by the appellate court in october of 2020 that is precisely what the court said the court said you are a transportation company and your workers are doing transportation work Um, and unfortunately we never got to see what that you know what that might have looked like um, looked like in California, um, because we.
2: She said, "Unfortunately, we never got to see what that would look like." I would say, "Fortunately, we didn't <laughs> get to see what that looked like because the the ride-hail companies, Uber and Lyft, and all of them were threatening. They were this close to leaving the state, right. only you know, like ten days, and that when she when she said that it you know it was in the court in October." Of 2020, mm-hmm. that was really I think 15 days until the actual election, in which the voters would decide on Prop 22 to exempt them.
0: Right, and don't for, and and nobody should forget that um, the Flex Association, which is Uber, Lyft, Instacart, DoorDash, Grubhub, maybe. Um, they put what was it like 208 million dollars it's like one of one of the most funded propositions
2: yeah it takes that much to fight city hall that's for sure
0: you know so they they
2: they did and 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 that they were only concerned about their own industry prop 22 only applies to them nobody else and the voters voted on prop 22 in the November 2020 election by a margin of about 58, 58 or 59% to allow them to remain independent contractors. That's the key point. I think there's a lot of people in your listeners and people in the Rideshare community who view Prop 22 through a different lens. They think of it. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't they don't understand that it it that it's protecting them from becoming employee drivers are having to are are forcing the company to to make them all employees which would be a whole different landscape for the for these companies it would it would i mean you tell
0: me we've had this discussion so many times they wouldn't work under an employee franchise model
2: right so that's the main key key benefit of prop 22 and the fact that they they tried to make it you know put on all these other protections and benefits in it Obviously, is going to backfire on them at some point because some people are not going to be happy with 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 it, or it's not going to live up to its promise.
0: So, hairdressers have an exemption too.
2: Hairdressers? It depends on what kind of hairdresser you are. You know, see
0: that that, and this is where it gets real sad. It depends on what kind of hairdresser you are. For the most
2: part, yes, they do. But you, you have to you have to fulfill a lot of different requirements in order to be an independent contractor with a salon. In other words, you can't pass out their business cards. You can't use their their um, uh, products. You can't sell products on behalf of them. They can't take commissions, those kinds of things. You have to just rent a booth and that's it. And you're in business for yourself. And then you can, you, if you're licensed, but that's another exemption that has a lot of different requirements to it.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's the case with most of the,
2: but then you talk about it, what about a hairdresser who's working on a musical theater production and comes behind the scenes and, and does something, you know, to the cast members', you know, hairstyles. That person is a hairdresser, but she would not have an exemption from A B five because she's musical theater production does not have you you cannot hire independent contractors at all for any kind of, you know, theatrical production. Yep
3: companies, of course, passed Proposition
0: 22. Right. Um, So a couple things there. Uh, So the B prong, obviously, is the prong that most people talk about and have trouble with. And I know that a lot of people, even the non-app-based, non-on-demand gig gig economy, the more traditional gig economy, um, caught a lot of people in that net as well. Were those people supposed to be in that as well? I mean, I mean, is that, I feel like AB5 initially, like like maybe it's just because of the the circles I was hearing it in, but I felt like it was very much geared to the app based on demand world, not the traditional freelancers and writers and the, those who needed yeah. some carve outs.
3: You know, I, I don't know, honestly. I, I mean, again, contrary to, <laughs> to popular opinion, I, I didn't have anything to do with the writing of AB5. Um, my sense is that there has been a yeah. lot of amongst regulators, both in the United States and abroad. So this is a worldwide phenomenon. I hear this when I'm talking to regulators in Europe, um, in in Asia, in South America. Um, A lot of fear that these app-based companies are going to start um, a sort of revolution in which employment and labor laws have no, um, you know, just don't matter. And, And so... My, my sense is that um, there, AB5 wasn't necessarily um, aimed at these companies in particular, that it was aimed at a longstanding problem of misclassification. Um, You know, misclassification has been a huge problem in the janitorial industry, in the construction industry, um, in the transportation industry, in the trucking industry for for decades, since the 1970s, the late 1970s, early 80s. This has been been a huge issue. Um, But that I think that I think you're right that it spoke to a real fear. Like the time was now because you know, I can't speak to what the Supreme Court justices were thinking when they wrote they wrote the Dynamics decision, but I can only imagine that in the back of their minds, even though they were ruling on an offline company's practices, um, you know, offline delivery companies' practices, they were really worried about the growth and proliferation of of misclassification more broadly um, through through people or even companies that we call gig economy companies.
0: Right. Right, I just I you know I've, I've had a, I've had mostly we have guests on the on the show who are in the what you what you and I are now calling gig economy, but I have had a couple people from the traditional side too mm-hmm. who even after Prop Twenty Two and before um, the recent overturn of Prop Twenty Two were caught in that net during this pandemic. I mean I'm sure that you have heard this a hundred thousand times too, but um, you know they they felt caught in a net. Whereas now Prop 22 was letting these people off, who I believe 85 was targeted at, mm-hmm. and it didn't let them off, which was I don't know. I that was a that was a hard thing for a lot of people that I had talked to, and they it really never made right. sense to me why they got caught in that.
3: When you say that it got it let them it didn't let them off. What do you, what do you, can you tell me more about? What well,
0: you like um, you know, okay. So I've had a, um, a one of the guests I had on has a nonprofit or had a nonprofit opera house in Los Angeles um, that operated only a couple times a year, mm-hmm. and she had been in business for twenty two years and in the industry for thirty five. She was bringing a very u- a unique niche to um, her opera house based on music of um her jewish ancestry because through the holocaust there had been some music lost and it was passed down through her mom mm-hmm. this business has since closed because of ab5 mm-hmm. um my I... answer that i know and then mm-hmm. i know that there were carve outs too i, I yeah. do know that in the beginning everybody felt it because there were even you know i remember newspaper people that i know going wait a minute what's going to happen
3: yeah but i know yeah. that
0: they got their carve out and
3: yeah, I don't know, I, you know, again, I wasn't part of the legislative process, so I, um, I can't speak to all of the, the carve-outs that eventually were made for all of these different, um, different sectors. I do think that there was some hysteria um, that wasn't. Um,
2: <laughs> okay. This is, this is very triggering to everybody who, it could be because she has a history of using the word hysteria dating back to right after the law was passed. You can look at her old tweets and she was calling us all hysterical and guilty of hysteria and misinterpreting everything and and completely dismissing the bloodbath and the carnage that AB5 caused to more than 600 categories of professions. It was like the Titanic. Everybody was thrown overboard and people beginning in January of 2020 lost their careers and livelihoods overnight. and and so when you're you're talking about life-threatening situations even for some people, people who had careers forever, you know, losing their business and their livelihoods, that's not hysteria. Yeah. That's you know, <laughs> that's reasonable backlash against the author of the bill and anybody who touts it and supports it.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm a little. I, I was a little thrown too. If you you could already probably tell that sh- she's the I don't know's weren't really flowing with me. Like I feel like she did know. <laughs> like every time I was saying something, she's like, I don't know. Well, I feel like I, in my head, I'm like, yes, you do.
2: I'm curious about why she doesn't want to know. Wouldn't she want to know every aspect of how the law is impacting people? In order I mean, to, I mean, why? So why, why does she, she, she want to totally have tunnel vision it. about it? I
0: mean, but she fully supports it. she's on board. I just feel like she knows it better than she says. I don't know.
2: I, I don't know.
0: I mean, how can you be on how can you be a professor of law somewhere if, and not have all the details and be fully on board with something?
2: Because I think she's wedded to her viewpoint, her singular viewpoint about rideshare to the exclusion of everybody else that's affected and impacted by this law. And, and she doesn't have the intellectual curiosity or the desire or whatever um, to learn the totality of the collateral damage that that it's caused. All the dolphins and the tuna net, quote unquote, that are caught up in it. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to hear about it. She just tells us to pipe down and, and brushes us off our shoulder and tells us we're hysterical. We don't know what we're talking about, even though we're, we're living and breathing the disaster as it's happening.
0: Hmm. Uh, Maybe I'll kick this into a 1.25 gear, see if it's too fast. I don't think think it will be.
3: That was uh, the result of two things. Um, One, the result of the PR companies pushing the, the the, the gig companies, PR companies um, pushing hysteria so as to create a mass of people who would, you know, be very angry about AB5 and Pro Prop 22 as a result. Um, and two, I think there was a lot of bad advice that I saw from lawyers who didn't quite understand um, that that there were, even before the
2: specific part. Gig companies, PR, comp, P, PR yep. the agencies were, were pushing us to become hysterical. There, first of all, the gig companies are only concerned about themselves. They never talked about AB5 in the, in the, in the broader sense of it as to how it affects other professions there were no pr things coming out influencing you know the interpreter who who was a cancer survivor who lost everything there were no P- that pr influence over the 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 forensic nurse who could no longer do evidentiary exams on on rape victims in hospitals i mean it, there, it's it's just completely bogus. It's completely bogus. And then her next thing that she says is that they're getting bad advice from their attorneys. How would she know? She says she doesn't understand the law. She doesn't know the law. Clearly, she doesn't. Is she saying that 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 employment law attorneys are 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 giving people bad advice about how to follow a law that actually presumes that everybody's an employee and you have to prove that? The person that you hire is, is an independent contractor, and if you don't, you're going to face astronomical fines and penalties by the Employment Development Department and the Department of Labor Standards Enforcement, Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, and all of these onerous onerous fines and penalties for misclassic- misclassifying a single independent contractor? No.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like the attorneys would have been the first ones to come up to speed with I mean, I, I still I still there's a part of me that thinks that she knows which she knows more than she's saying here. OK, I, I'm just again, I, we were when we recorded this, we were doing this on video. So I was watching her. And, you know, there's just reading somebody and that just seemed like a little elusive for an attorney. I don't
2: know. It's weird. It's it's absurd what she just said that
3: different different um, different groups got different professions got that there w- that there were ways um, to structure your business such that you like the opera the opera, um, the opera uh, business for example, such that you would um, not have to worry about this like you could structure it as a cooperative or you could um, there are like particular uh, ways to structure a business so that you could be exempt. and um, and I, what I, the reason that I sort of learned
2: of no, she's yeah. incorrect about that. It's very spelled out clear it's spelled out very clearly in the law musical theater production which opera falls under you cannot ha- structure your business your your theater in any which way into a cooperative or whatever she's talking about in mm-hmm. order to find a workaround or a loophole from the law and and be able to hire hire independent contractors whether it, it if you're a musical theater production whether it's it's a a worker who works for you for thirty seconds, an hour, a day, a week, mm-hmm. seasonally—they all have to be employees on payroll. And and so that is why there were so many people coming into my group from the, the, the theatrical community, including opera companies. Like the, in fact, the Gail, the person that you were referencing, is was a member of our group.
0: Yep. And I've gotten to know Gail really well, too. I mean, I'm just, I was, that was probably the initial thing that grabbed my attention was how did this nonprofit that's been a legitimate nonprofit, which is not an easy status to attain either, but how did this legitimate nonprofit get thrown into this thing? I think that led my investigation down this.
2: Every, every contracting relationship has to be evaluated in detail for by an employment law attorney for its specifics to see if it. You know if it satisfies all of these requirements either either of the abc test or the exemption you know a lot of the exemptions come with 11 hoops you have to jump through you know yeah. and so this idea this notion that you can restructure your business and call it this or call it that you know in order to be able to hire independent contractors is absolutely false and if Lorena gonzalez was sitting here she would agree with me 100 <laughs> percent. or maybe maybe yeah, she would be daughter, about.
3: actually um Talking to some moonlighting physicians who were who got letters saying we we want you essentially to create your own LLCs, we want you to create your own corporate entities um, before you can moonlight for us, um, so that no one so that you can't ever say that you're um, you are an you're are our employee. And while that made you know that is that was one way to get out from underneath those, just to have everyone be their own LLC
2: um, and then their their own business.
1: Yeah, I figured that was going be an Indian issue. <laughs>
2: She's incorrect about that. We, our group, we found that out the hard way because they were saying, Oh, you can, you can be an LLC and be exempt from the law. No, you can't.
0: Yeah. I mean, that would have been the sim, that would have been such a simple way out of this thing that there's no way that that's, if the- that were
2: true. Then every Uber and Lyft driver wanted to continue to remain independent contractors would just, just pay for an LLC.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, an LLC does nothing to um, exempt anybody from, from solely from AB five nor does it protect the hiring entity who hired that independent contractor who has an LLC of potential misclassification violations? And you know, we have members in our group, small business people that have been audited and fined for misclassifying LLC web designers who had their own business, had other clients, they had written contracts. They only came into the the office maybe once a month, if that, and they still were, were subject to massive amount of fines and they had to convert them all to employees.
0: Right, LLC
2: does nothing for you unless you meet 13 other requirements of the business-to-business exemption.
0: Well, I was gonna say, it doesn't matter anyway because you'd still have to meet the ABC test.
2: Uh, Well, it depends on if the the business-to-business exemption would allow you to bypass the ABC test but the business-to-business exemption comes with all of these little poison pills about, oh, they can't be control and direction anyways, or you can't, you know, subcontract, and a lot of times it just doesn't work out for people at all, you know. So, um, but having a, you can be a sole proprietor and take advantage of the business-to-business exemption, maybe, you know. It's just the law is filled with so many landmines and so many curiosities that, um, and and what we're finding out in our group we're now getting people coming in who are being audited Mm -hmm. uh, or have completed audits who are actually exempt supposed to be exempt and the auditors didn't care they didn't give one flying fuck (laughs) that they had an exemption (laughs) like dog walkers i'll show you when we pull up my the personal stories an architect Photog- wedding photographers
1: Yeah.
2: They're coming into my group saying we're getting audited you know even though we have an exemption and the auditors are telling us they don't want it they don't even know about the cleanup bill and some of the exemptions some of these auditors they're telling us
3: yeah, a real business entity and not um not just a you know a potential employee or potential contractor but it struck me that that was that was strange because empo- because doctors are largely carved out of um, employment law protections because of their especially wage protections because of their um of their, um, of their high wages. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard, there's so much, um, PR.
2: I just want to add that doctors, anybody is not carved out of AB5 due to how much their income is having a large amount of income, um, does nothing to protect, to, to exempt you from AB5, having a professional license such as in healthcare does nothing to protect to exempt you from AB5.
0: Do you so think that, that do you think that. that part of the conversation just kind of was based on the fact that she was just going hierarchy and going like look, look the lawyer's got a carve out look the doctors did so
2: she might be thinking that they doctors did get a carve out from the dynamics AB5. I mean, ABC test, because it didn't apply to them because they're not wage order jobs. But they had to have an exemption from the ABC test of AB5 because all of a sudden it applied to them. So doctors have an exemption for a reason.
0: Sure. not
2: But not because they make high wages. We've got tons of people in my group that are six-figure earners that lost their businesses because of AB5. Yeah. Stereo
3: that was, in fact, manufactured. Um, that it was hard for me to Okay, wait a minute,
2: wait, wait. I got to say something about that. Really, you know. Manufactured hysteria. Steve, at some point we got to pull up my stories. I've got hundreds and hundreds of categories of professions in an archive of stories that I've collected for four years of people. Hysteria, manufactured hysteria. I don't think anybody reading any of the stories would would think that any of it was manufactured or hysteria. Which she, she just loves that word, hysteria.
0: So here's the the list of what Karen's talking about. Is it coming up there?
2: Yep, I see it.
0: So okay.
2: So if you scroll through there, you'll see all the categories. I put on my glasses. I mean, just read them out. Cancer registrars, chiropractors, yeah. chronically ill people, churches, comedians, commercial produ- productions, community theater. You know, just.
1: Yeah. Just, I mean, and, it's, and it's if ridiculous. You on,
2: if you click on these little cells here, it brings up like, you know, dozens of stories. Court reporters. Court reporters still don't have an exemption for maybe five. I mean, there's, there's so many stories within these archives that will just blow your mind. You know, I'll,
0: I'll share it with you guys too, so that you guys have it
2: here. Pull up, um, pull up the pharmacist story. If you can scroll down to the pharmacist, Mm -hmm. her story was outrageous. She actually lives up the street from me. She's a licensed pharmacist who, um, has a doctorate degree and did was an independent had a career as an independent contractor doing inspections of pharmacies and best practices and stuff all all up and down the state. If you read that out loud, here I'll read it. I'm a registered pharmacist, eight years of college, doctorate degree, lost my contract to inspect pharmacies in California and around the country to ensure their compliance with standards of appropriate sterile and non-sterile compounding security cleanliness, personal training, proper policies, and standards, and much more, all to ensure public safety for dispensing and consumption of prescription medications. Now, the company for which I was contracted uses pharmacists from outside California to come here to perform the work I did. I invoiced and was paid monthly within the exceeding customarily hourly wages of pharmacists, $50 to $100 an hour. I was specifically told by one of Lorena Gonzalez's staffers that they only intended AB5 for low-wage workers and that professionals... With 38-year professional career. Wait a minute. Professionals with a high barrier of entry to the profession should be excluded from AB5. See, they lied to her. They lied to all of us. Yet pharmacists are not excluded. Now, after 38-year professional career, I lost my ability to make a living and now earning nothing. Explain hmm. that, Veena. Well, that's yeah. just one of hundreds of really, you know, outrageous. Stories and that came into my group.
3: What was what, what the instances in which people were getting bad legal advice, instances in which people were actually being adversely affected, and um, and interest in, in instances in which it was sort of just like made up. Um, I think that, um, I think that, of course, you know, as
1: <laughs> we gave you so, like 10 so, seconds,
2: it's so, it's so insulting. I mean, it's appalling. That she and Lorena Gonzalez, the author of the bill, are so dismissive of real life stories of loss and devastation and destruction and disruption and everything else. That we just making everything up. Yeah. And and it's not just me and my group. Every single legislator was getting, you know, calls when the law first went into effect or was first signed. When I called my assembly person, she said she was getting 100, 100 calls a day from people in a complete panic. She told me she was a grant researcher on the side. The the woman that answered the phone, the staff that chief her, her the chief of staff, grant writers are exempt, but grant researchers are not. So she lost her career. She's gonna. She said she told me she had. She's gonna have to find something else to do to make a living because she cannot be an independent contractor, and they're not going to hire her as a as an employee, the grant writer's not going to hire a grant researcher as an employee.
0: No, no. In almost every case, they're not going to hire anybody as an employee.
2: And to, just to let your listeners know how how much insanity ensued at the beginning of AB5, um, every single band, have a bar band, you know your mm-hmm. local band that plays in a bar or restaurant or brewery or whatever, had to make their band members
0: employees.
2: And they right. couldn't do it. it right, which I was just going to
0: say, I've, I've been in that industry and there's no way that you could do that.
2: Yeah, so the the musicians were very vocal. They, they put together like a petition of 700, they got 750,000 signatures on a change.org petition to get an exemption. And Lorena Gonzalez gave them an audience because they were amongst the loudest that were making her life miserable. You know, but I mean, it was ridiculous. You could, you could, Be a band member. You could sit in. You could have like your saxophone player sit in with you, and you'd have to make him an employee. And then you would sit in with his band one night, and he would have to make you. So you would be the employers of each other.
0: I know. I remember it was either you or Kim that I threw out the idea of. Couldn't I just have like fifty different bands with different? Would have it be the same band?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, just just call every. Just call your band whatever the date is.
2: You know, another group that was really highly impacted was interpreters and translators and the interpreters, they were so smart. They were really well educated. The group that was was fighting for for their exemption in any way they could, you know, with their negotiations and, um, you know, they operate as independent contractors. And Lorena Mm -hmm. Gonzalez just had her heels dug in on them. She accused them of, she accused the industry of all this wage theft and stuff that turned out not to be true. And they eventually got an exemption, but they were making her life miserable too. You know, these were not, um, these were not made up stories. They were actually lost work. They couldn't work. Sign language interpreters. Yeah. They couldn't work.
0: This is John Lopez. He's, I'm not sure if you probably know John. He's in Chicago. Hi, John. So he's uh, he's been making a couple comments in here. He's been asking about some other things too. But um, I'm trying to go back up a little bit because he had he's always in the chat sometimes for these um, Olson versus California federal case. I'm I'm now going back in time a little bit here. Um, in my role in local government, that. we needed to go with an independent contractor for administrative services. We're a startup, so it wouldn't have been possible to bring them in as W two Um, I really hope AB5 will be brought up at Thursday's debate between Governor DeSantis and Governor Newsom. Um, Check out Congressman Kevin Kiley's list of questions. Um, Joe,
2: check out the article op-ed I wrote yesterday in the California Globe about how AB5 should be number one debate topic for Newsom and how Newsom himself is violating AB5 with his freelancer photographer arrangement. It's all in my (laughs)
0: op-ed. Newsome Newsom seems to break all his own rules he I don't does. Know.
1: of course he does
0: I mean I don't it seems pretty public though too it's not as like it's not as covert as some other
1: I government. mean I, he's just I right openly, that,
0: openly like it doesn't apply to me you might as well say that it's it's a lot doesn't apply to me
2: yeah you know if he were, if he were treated like any other business he would be subjected to you know astronomical fines and penalties for misclassifying his, his, his freelance photographer, which he is, you know, because I mean, there there, even though photographers have an exemption within that exemption are six or seven different requirements that you can't, you, you, and, and one of them is that the photographer has to be able to set his own hours and, and, and not be controlled or directed as to where to work and when to work and all of that. So when he, he took his photographer with him to China, I mean that is an employee relationship. That is not a freelancing relationship.
0: So Joe Beth here says that uh, remember how Lorena uh, saw the Gonzalez saw a thick book filled with these AB five nightmares and threw it into the trash without a glance.
2: Yes, that happened. Uh, hi, Joe Beth. <laughs> um, she we we had a letter. I wrote a letter signed by eight thousand freelancers for a repeal, a motion to repeal AB5 that Kevin Kiley in the assembly was going to introduce to the assembly people in the legislature. And it was this big, thick packet of signatures. And when he handed it, he told me when he handed it to her, she cursed at him and tossed it across the desk and onto the floor. She didn't want to hear it, didn't want to see it.
0: Um, So... Joe Beth also said here can only be a backup singer one night a week at a venue. That's is correct. This, is that still a thing?
2: Yes, the exemption. Musicians think they got an exemption, and all the headlines said, "Oh, musicians are all exempt," but they're not. It comes with with uh, restrictions, and one of the restrictions is that you can only perform at the venue no more than once a week. Yeah, so that. a lot of people, you know, you—I mean, a lot of bands will play a Friday and a Saturday night consecutively. Or they'll oh, yeah. play Friday and then they'll come back on Sunday afternoon. That's mm-hmm. not allowed because it's more than once a week. Yep. Yeah. So tell me, how is that freedom for musicians when the government is is has that much control over? Right. And, and,
0: and honestly, why should respect? they and why should they have to be an employee of the restaurant or the location?
2: It's absolutely outright. You, and you tell musicians, say, Oh, we're all exempt. No, you're not there's so many musicians that aren't there's so a segment of musicians that are not exempt at all one of them being community theater
1: yeah
3: the, the fact that there were eventually a legislation there was legislation to so clean up legislation if you will around um, around the law suggests to me that you know there were um, there were there was more that needed to be done but that's actually quite common when you have um, a any big statute there's going to be cleanup legislation um are you so, referring
1: to 82257
3: yeah, I, I I believe that is the uh,
0: that was the that was the bill that sort of tried to assist. I just, okay, that, that threw that. me too. The I believe that's AB two two five seven. It was Again, These are the that I'm just mentioning it to you because these are the things that threw me a bit because I I was like, if, there's no way I know this and you don't know this.
2: <laughs> I, she must not be paying attention, or maybe she's just trying to be. I don't. I I can't get into her head as to why she doesn't. I mean, it was,
0: I mean, she knows this though, right? Is she just not, that's confusing to me. Well, the fact that there
2: was a cleanup bill suggests to her that there may have been some problems, but it's not unusual that, that big pieces of legislation have cleanup bills. No, AB five was a scorched earth approach to policymaking where she just came in and she burned down the entire village and threw everybody overboard and then picked through the rubble and, you know, for winners and losers as to who can be exempt and who cannot. And that is a problem and and ab2257 even though it provided a few more exemptions and clarified a few of the existing exemptions in the law it's still a convoluted mess and it and there's all sorts of professions hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of professions that have fallen through the crack that aren't addressed by any of this such as and i've repeated this over and over again freelance transcription profession is extinct in california They do not have an exemption. I don't know why they wouldn't be in the professional services category of exemption, along with proofreaders and translators, but they're not. And and so and that was a profession that was dominated by females and seniors. And it's 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 extinct in California. California is the only place in the entire world where a platform like Rev.com will not contract with you.
3: who felt caught in the, um, caught in the, in the waves. But it's also important to note, I think, that, you know, for example, um, freelance journalists were, were amongst many of the people who were, some of whom were upset, um, about this. But freelance journalism, the fact that, the fact that, um, so many journalists are not able to, have things like health insurance, um, not able to have a workers' compensation if they're injured, not able to have unemployment insurance, and are actually um, working primarily with one or two hiring entities, with one or one or two um, uh, newspapers or, or or media outlets, um, speaks to the reality that journalism has really disintegrated over the last
2: thirty years, and it's okay. created. A lot of really precarious- I have something to say about that. Journalism okay. has disintegrated, but in in a way that she may not be, you know, meaning it. I mean right. this standard of journalism I think is disintegrated a lot. But in terms of I mean journal uh, W-2 journal having a job having a W-2 job with a news, in a newsroom is not job for security at all. There are constant layoffs in newsrooms over and over and over again. They come in cycles. There's just was a, a new cycle of, of layoffs on very in very prominent publications and magazines and newsrooms. And it's and the only thing for me personally as a journalist that's protected me all these years. And let let me be the last man standing. Is the fact that I'm an independent contractor and I'm in business for myself, and because I'm in business for myself, I can I can deduct my expenses. So as far as healthcare is concerned, I have always paid for the most high the highest possible, um, the best possible plan in the in in uh, in my in Kaiser for mm-hmm. for healthcare because I can write it off. <laughs> And workers' comp, uh, you can, um, a, a, a business can include independent contractors in their workers' comp policy if they so choose. A
3: test in one state, but not all over the country. It's then easy for these huge media conglomerates to say, okay, well, we're not going to use you in California. If we have to treat you, if we have to give you you know, proper wages and protections. We're just going to go to someone in, in Arizona or go to someone in New Mexico um, and that is an unfortunate sort of thing that, that employers do to lower labor costs um, but it is you know precarity journalism is, is in dire straits um, I know a lot of of freelance journalists who want want jobs and deserve full-time jobs and are actually are working for, for outlets where they're essentially a full-time worker but are being um, but are being mistreated and, um, and I think I think I I, had, I would have hoped that um, this law would have really helped those folks too. Um, but the reality of digital journalism is that it, it is that people could you know these these sort of unsavory companies could just go elsewhere to find their find their work.
2: All right, Jo Beth can chime in here because she's the plaintiff with the uh, American Society of Journalists and Authors lawsuit against AB Five in the state of California for discriminating against a journalist and. Um, you know, journalists, uh, if you're working full time for somebody, you don't need AB uh, as an independent contractor. Yeah, it, 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 you probably would be a misclassified person, you know, under the terms of Borello, the Borello standard. But who are all of these, all of these? She, she says she knows so many journalists. I don't know a single journalist, freelance journalist who thinks AB5 is a good idea
0: no and so this was this was from prior to you making that comment about joe beth but she had said ab5's ban of self-employment for respiratory therapists and nurses who specialize in rape kits um those were too heartbreaking um ab5 likely led to many deaths but no one is counting them (laughs) she's
2: right but joe beth is a freelance journalist and she um she and i were invited panelists at the california um Advisory commit committee for the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. They held this here these hear, series of hearings about AB five and the implication against on um, on minorities and disenfranchised groups. And Vina Dubal was also another invited panelist, but she refused to be on a panel with anybody. She was Joe Beth and I were on the March eighth panel, and she was supposed to be on the March seventh panel, but she she worked a deal with the commission and supposed to be public, right? That she would have her own special panel just for herself so that she could speak for a full hour. And they didn't even notify us that she was, that, sh- that she was going to, that this was going to take place. And, and she was, we, we found out about it an hour before it was supposed to happen. And um, we tuned in and she was, she was, perpetrating the same narratives and tropes about hysteria and you know all of these people. In fact, Joe Beth can attest to this. She said uh, that all of us who are fighting the law, you know, the freelancer movement like myself and us, we're just privileged white people who uh, already are, are supported by our husbands or our spouses and that freelancing is just a hobby for us. And we the only reason that, you know, we have time to even do any advocacy work is because, um, you know, we're we have income from our spouses. She actually said that.
0: Yeah. Um, if I remember right her again, I, I don't remember the exact um, details of this, but I remember isn't her husband um, or is that Lorena's? One of their husbands is with Amazon, right?
2: From what I understand, her or well, Lorena's internet,
0: was he's with Uber, but look, but even no. Vina's was with am I getting this backwards?
2: Well, I think uh, Vena's husband is with Amazon, is the lawyer with Amazon, and Vina herself makes according to Transparent California, she she makes somewhere in the vicinity of a hundred and fifty six thousand dollars a year, you know, and yet she is her focus is on uh, critical race theory. So if you look mm-hmm. her up, she's a professor of critical race theory and and she doesn't hasn't talked about that yet in this interview with you, but she wrote a paper called The New Racial Wage Code and she equates Prop 22 with the uh, racial in, inequities and injustices and subjugation of the new deal and the plantations in the south and the cotton mills and everything else and that Prop 22 is is written specifically targeting and discriminating against minorities and people of color. She wrote that. Hmm. It's, and, and I read her paper, I did. But what she failed to mention in her paper is that the people who wrote Prop 22 were Tony West, who's the chief legal officer for Uber. He's a black, he's, he's yeah. um, Kamala Harris's brother-in-law. Anthony Fox was the Obama, Obama's um, transportation secretary, and he's the chief, Policy officer for Lyft, Valerie Jarrett, who was the Obama's um, uh, chief of staff at the White House for eight years, is the director of the board of directors of Lyft, and LaFonza Butler, who is now our new uh, state senator in California, Newsom appointed her. She used to be with SEIU, and then, but she in 2019 she went to work for Uber to help them craft Prop 20 Prop 22. So Prop 22 behind the scenes was at Butler Butler's block as well. So, but she, Divina Duvall doesn't put that into her equation, but I will give Davina Duvall uh, some credit here. When Newsom appointed LaFonza Butler to that seat, she was the only person prominent in the labor movement that called BS on it. And said she was a turncoat to the to SCIU when she went to work for Uber to to do Prop Twenty Two. Even Lorena Gonzalez herself had a meek sort of congratulatory response and didn't speak out about that. So at least Vena had the balls to call it out, call out that hypocrisy.
0: Right.
2: And I read that in I read that in the Times. She was quoted in the Times. Times.
0: I, you know, I just, I'm curious because some of the people I know were even like S-Corps and things of that nature, but again, it could, who knows what each of the situations is. I've I've talked to them and I know that in some ways or another, it just affected a lot of people, but I also know that musicians weren't carved out than they were and then interpreters weren't, but then they were. So I know it took some time. I thought that was part of baby 2257, Mm -hmm. getting back to prop 22, um, when that was voted on in November, um, I know that. If I was reading the quote right from TechCrunch, that a ballot initiative cannot amend, be amended after it is passed by voters. Any unconstitutional provis- provisions renders it unenforceable, which is the reason why Prop Twenty Two got overturned by Judge Frank Roche. Right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the so he. Um... If one of the he found two parts of Prop 22 to be unconstitutional, and the part that one of those parts of Prop 22 that he found to be unconstitutional was the center of Prop 22. So they couldn't just excise that portion of the proposition; um, they it excised the entire proposition, which was why the entire proposition was found to be unconstitutional. And it was the portion of the of the proposition, um, the part of the part of the law that said that um, workers are carved out of all um, parts of the labor code and the unemployment insurance code. And the reason
2: that he found that. Yeah. She just said workers were carved mm-hmm. out. Right. No. Prop 22 was only about ride share yeah, and sure. app-based delivery drivers, not all workers. So I'm sure she misspoke and she didn't mean to be duplicitous with you. But when she said workers, Prop 22 is, th- that was not, Prop 22 is a very narrow, narrowly uh, applies to only one industry.
0: And I was gonna say, I was gonna say to to add on to that, I've had people ask me, well, what about those companies like Curry, Last Mile Delivery, that's still an app, but they're like, you know, those are held to Prop 22 too, and I'm like, no, they're, no, they're not. I'm like, there's certain there's smaller companies that don't fall into that, or they're not paying into it, and they're they're meeting the legal requirements. I know these companies.
2: Wow, I didn't know that.
0: So it's like some there's there must be some threshold on some whatever the size of your platform app is in California or something. I don't know, because they're not, they definitely are not paying into Prop 22. I don't know. So.
2: The
3: unconstitutional is because in California, the workers' compensation scheme, um, the, the legislature's plenary power to create a workers' compensation scheme is actually embodied in the California constitution. And what Prop 22 did was to say, um, legislature, you cannot provide any kind of workers' compensation scheme to workers. Um,
2: um, this No. Again, <laughs> she's over workers and says that it said the legislature is not allowed to provide workers' compensation schemes or systems or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
2: not what Prop 22 said. Prop 22 said that the voters could participate and be part of that. Plenary power that the voters are afforded that plenary power of being able to make the, that um, you know decision about about uh, workers' comp
3: decision essentially forbids it and and he said that that actually flew in the face of um, of the plenary power of the legislature to to do so to create to create a scheme um, of, of protections for workers who do dangerous work and it's it's interesting to note that that was put into the constitution. Um,
2: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>,
0: uh, <laughs> I see you guys are all aware. Whenever Karen puts her finger up, was there our few for when I'd pause? So <laughs> um,
2: dangerous work. Let's talk about dangerous work. AV uh, app-based uh, delivery companies and Uber and Lyft and all of them are excluded from a carve out in AB five, you know, prior to prop 22, because they're quote unquote, dangerous, hazardous occupations. But if you look at, at AB five, one of the most hazardous occupations in the entire nation, the second most hazardous occupation is commercial fishing and commercial fishermen got an exemption from AB five timber, Logging is a very hazardous uh, occupation. Foresters got an exemption from AB5. Construction truckers got an exemption from AB5 for some reason. It must have been some union thing. And construction subcontractors got an exemption from AB5 or from the ABC test of AB5. And then in the referral agency category of exemptions, which Uber and Lyft feel that they should be long in, uh, there are occupations in under like a task rabbit agency that also have are exempted, including moving furniture and errands. So I'm looking at it and I'm going, Steve, if errands are exempt from AB5, don't you use a car to, to go on an errand for somebody who hires you and maybe mm-hmm. like an errand runner would be somebody that would go to the grocery store for, for the senior and, and and pick up groceries and bring them back. What? How does any of that make sense?
0: I I don't think any of it makes sense. I thought that's why we're here.
2: Moving furniture, you can be crippled for life, moving furniture, yet they have an exemption. Yard work, yeah. people who trim trees. I mean, come on. Yep. So don't tell I mean, me. I,
0: even, I don't know if you know this, but now Rideshare is listed in the – or. Gig work is listed in the top 10 most dangerous professions in the nation.
2: Yep. So, yep. But it's okay to be an errand runner. Yep. <laughs> it's okay. The The, the top, the, the most dangerous profession is logging, followed by fishing. Commercial fishermen have an exemption. Why?
0: I, I don't know. Because they need commercial fishermen and they wouldn't do it under any other way. I don't know. And so therefore they need they need I mean it's it's like a forced need. You know, well, those, like, oh, they won't do it if they have to be employees.
2: Those exemptions, you know, belie the fact that <laughs> this, this law was made was designed and written to protect workers.
0: Yeah.
3: In the late 1900s early to I'm sorry, late 1800s early 1900s particularly because we were living in um a, you know the or, they were living in the Gilded Age where you had these um, deep-pocketed companies who had a lot of personal um, connections to, um, to uh, lawmakers and there was concern that they would try to get out from underneath the workers' compensation scheme or try and change the law so that they didn't have to provide Um, any kinds of workers' compensation coverage for their workers. And in particular, there was concern around the deaths and injuries in transportation work because cars were starting to become more common um, and used for work purposes and accidents went through the roof. And there were just, there were so many more occupational injuries than there had ever been before. So this was, you know, to create a um, a safety net for people who who were injured on the job in those circumstances. Um, And I think that's relevant from a policy standpoint because of course, as as you and your listeners know, this is very dangerous work. Um, OSHA says it's one of the most dangerous Jobs um, in the country, not just as a result of people getting held up, um, but also because of accidents um, and um, injuries that come with being in the car all the time, you know, repetitive injuries that come with being in the car all the time. And so um, I think this is it's particularly this is the type of work that workers' compensation laws
0: were created for. The other part of what um, Judge Roche, I thought I hope I'm saying that name right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Um the other part of what Judge Roche was talking about, too, was the right to organize, though, as well, right?
3: Yes, yeah, so Proposition 22, like, for, and it, this actually didn't make the whole thing unconstitutional. I believe that this part could have been excised from the proposition. Um, but interestingly, you know, I, like, they were really trying to have their cake and eat it, too. Um, they, they just threw in a section in there that says, you know, worker, the state can't create a, a way for these workers to organize. and. Um, or can't pass a law to, to allow these workers to organize. And what the court said is that this this act, this part of the decision, or this part of the um, of the proposition violated what's known as the single subject rule. And that is for um for initiatives like this, the, the initiatives should only cover a single subject. And what this proposition claimed to do was to um to make, you know, ensure that these workers could be independent contractors and to extend some new benefits to those workers. Um, nowhere in that statement did it say anything about, pre- you know, preventing them from organizing. And so the fact that they just sort of threw that in there, um, the, the court said, Judge Roche said, violated um, violated the single subject rule. It was about something completely different than what the proposition claimed to be about. Um, and so for that reason too, um, that portion of the proposition was, was um, ran, ran ran counter to the California Constitution.
2: Do you have a question about all of that? Mm -hmm. Um, Judge Roche, uh, when he ruled Prop 22 unconstitutional back in 2021, I think it was,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: the California Alliance of Business, uh, California uh, Business and Professional Alliance, KBA, KBA, Business and Industrial Alliance, uh, released an article listing all of the bad rulings that judge that had been overturned by uh this, this same judge a superior court judge in alameda county and including uh uh being reprimanded for bias he's had a lot of rulings overturned so in my view being in berkeley i mean he may have been an activist judge but he prop 22 was found constitutional back in march of 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 this year
1: they Mm
2: -hmm. um it went to a court of appeals and they found that that uh the you know it's it's kind of hard to explain but they they found that um that the legislature and the voters can you know make workers compensation law here i'll read it exactly uh First, the proposition did not intrude on the legislature's workers' compensation authority because while the legislature has plenary power, this power was not exclusive as references to the legislative powers and are interpreted to include the people's reserved right to use the initiative power. Secondly, the proposition did not violate the single subject rule simply when it embraced multiple purposes because propositions may properly accomplish comprehensive broad-based reform. So those two main components or provisions of prop 22 were upheld as constitutional and then that part about not allowing the legislature to amend prop 22 for the purposes of of making laws so that they could um, collectively bargain that was severed from the proposition so uh, anyways it required a seventh eighth majority of the legislature to amend the proposition Um, so
0: Well, I also, I also, I was also, I was trying to get at how you're going to get everybody to swallow this pill anyway. You already had them vote on it.
2: Right. And the state of California is the one that (laughs) has to defend Prop 22 in the court. So SEIU is taking this to the California back to the California Supreme Court because Judge Roche's ruling was overturned by the Court of Appeal this March. And then SEIE filed a uh, they want a review from the California Supreme Court and the California Supreme Court now is agreeing to hear them out on this. Um, So we'll see where it lands. But the person that's the person that's going to be defending Prop 22 before the California Supreme Court is the attorney general of the state of California because it's he is um, obliged to uphold the will of the voters
0: That's what I was just going to, it seems like crazy to me because it's, he's going to have, they're going to have to defend it. You can't go back and tell, you can't go back and tell all these voters like, oh, sorry, we didn't look at the law first.
2: Right. (laughs) Um, And then then again, you know, back in 2018, it was the California Supreme court that came up with the ABC test. So, you know, I mean, we're, we would want to hold our breaths, I think, and we don't know how it's going to turn out and we don't know when it's going to be heard. But um, uh, you know, we'll see. But but the the long and short of it is that Prop 22 was upheld to be mostly constitutional.
0: Me, I'm, I don't, I'm not even sure you'll know the answer to this, but um, how does a proposition like this get presented and it not get flagged that hey, this isn't in, in accordance with California Constitution?
3: Yeah, so um, the California Attorney General did um, did approve of the proposition, um, and that's why it was allowed to go on the ballot. They approved of it as constitutional. Um, but there's always review. There's always judicial review of of these um, of propositions, and in this case, the judge is saying, um, look. California, And at this point, it is the California Attorney General that is defending this case, right? They—it It is now the law, or what, you know, it is the law in California, the law passed. And so the Attorney General has to defend it um, um, against the plaintiffs. And so the plaintiffs are alleging, actually, there are parts of this law that, that, are, that are unconstitutional, that the California Attorney General should never have um, allowed to, to exist. And, um, and looking at those allegations, the judge is saying, yeah, you're right. Like, the, the AG's office made a mistake. There are things here that are unconstitutional. But you can't, um, you can't bring a suit like this until it becomes law. Like once the AG's office says, um, gives, you know, rubber stamps it and says, sure, it can go on the ballot um, as a referendum, then you can't actually challenge its constitutionality unless it's passed, which is why they're, we're having this litigation at this late
0: date after the passage of the law. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, I'm just shocked that all these lawyers' um, eyes were on this document didn't see it or else they did and they said and that's the part I guess I'm a little confused on is you know yeah. obviously somebody got to see this that well, this isn't gonna yeah you know, I mean the constitution I think a couple of things one I think that um
3: these issues the single subject issue, issue I'm, I'm sort of more surprised by because that that just seemed very obvious to me um at the outset but the um the workers compensation issue carving you know interfering with the legislature's plenary power to um put forth a workers compensation scheme this this is an issue of first impression you know the, the courts have not seen this no one has ever tried to do this before and so it's not immediately apparent to me that whatever lawyer ag's office that, that was reviewing this that they would necessarily see this and think oh this is um, this is necessarily a problem and so um and you know these are these are government lawyers they're short-staffed under
2: research that's kind of insulting she just insulted all the government lawyers and the attorney general said telling them they don't know what they're looking at <laughs>
0: I, I I'm I guess I'm still baffled because I'm wondering, like, when, I mean, I get, I saw you agreeing too that that is how it would play out, but I don't get why something needs to be voted into law before the lawyers could say, wait, this isn't constitutional.
2: Well, it yeah, I mean, it has to.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't see why both sides, right. like if, you, if somebody's going to protest that it's unconstitutional, shouldn't it not be voted on?
2: Well, that when it was when it was put on the ballot, it was, it passed the muster of the attorney general who, by the way, rewrote the summary of it to make it, you know, kind of twist the, the, the verbiage around saying these, this prop 22 is about rideshare drivers, not wanting to provide their, their people with benefits. You know, when in reality, prop 22 at its core was about allowing rideshare and delivery drivers to remain independent contractors
0: right
3: um, there's they, they might not catch every every single legal issue especially when those legal issues are um, are are new and I think in um, in this instance you know there's probably just you know practically speaking a lot of deference to the company's attorneys um uh, there's a sense that these companies are able to hire the very best and the very brightest and they know what that they're doing and that they, they are owed some sort of deference in their interpretation
0: okay um I mean, I know this gets really hairy and messy. So here's a, here's a question that I would actually kick myself if I didn't address today, Sure. which is, um, and it'll play into flex a little bit too, but so is there, is, is there a, is there a way, a path, something that you see where people can choose to be employee or independent contractor? And I say this because like in my case, um, I prefer to be an independent contractor because i do a variety of jobs you know I, I work for a laser company um i sometimes do um uh freelance social media around run mm-hmm. my website and podcasts um i you know i i work saas platforms like we've talked mm-hmm. about so for me it's such a jumbled mess and if i'm in working production i could be gone for seven Weeks, eight weeks. Totally, yeah. Come back, and I need work for five, six weeks.
3: Yeah, I hear you. So I think there are two really important things to um, to understand here, and that is that people really need and like this work um, for for two primary reasons. One, because of the kinds of flexible scheduling that you just articulated. um, You know, if you there are a lot of people who live transnational lives, and they will work really hard for six months, um, make some money, and then go home um, and live with their family you know, their wife and kids for another six months in, in South Asia or, you know, the Middle East and then come back and do the same thing. And it's their lifestyle, it's what they've sort of embraced and it's what they want to be able to do and this enables that. Um, the other thing is that no one wants a boss. I don't want a boss, you don't want a boss, no one wants a boss. In America, um, you know, employment law is rooted in the English common law of the master-servant relationship. Um, employees have very little power on the job. There is so much deference to, you um, to employers and what they're allowed to do to people, what they're allowed to say to people, how they're allowed to treat people. Um, and I think there's some sense, and I think this is probably accurate. Um, there's a sense that, you know, these companies, they if they pretend like their workforce is an independent contractor workforce, then they are prohibited from doing certain things. Like they're not gonna tell you to wear a uniform. Um, what I hear from workers that I, that I organize with is that what pisses them off is that they want to be contractors, but that they're treated like employees. And this is true across the board, right? Like, this is true for all misclassified workers. When you talk to those FedEx workers, when you talk to the misclassified nail salon workers, these are people who say, look, I want to not be controlled by a boss, but they set my wages, they tell, they drop my wages, they punish me if I don't do the things that they, they need for me to do, and they can terminate me at any time. And I can't actually negotiate these terms with them in any meaningful way. Like, I'm not actually being treated like a true small business person. And so then the question from a policy standpoint comes.
2: She didn't really answer your question because you. I mean, I'm surprised she didn't use the word you cobble a bunch of jobs together, and we don't like that cobbling. You know, you're you. You know, it's she didn't really answer your question. You like what you do. It's not because.
0: Yeah. You know, for no, she I mean, in fact she seemed on board with it.
2: Yeah. Nobody which, likes kind of,
0: which again kind of went against most of what I think she says.
2: Yeah, I don't know.
0: I was just I was just telling her my scenario, and I feel like she was like like endorsing it almost. Yeah, well, I get in the, that.
2: In the minds of these you know labor proponents like Vina Dubal and Lorena Gonzalez, you you should have one job that pays you a living wage, and you shouldn't be forced to have to cobble together jobs. But as business people, well, I don't co- cobbling is a is a derogatory term. Cobbling is actually a client roster for me, you know.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I don't I don't look <laughs> it, I don't look at it that I'm unfortunate and they have to cobble things together, though. That's what that they usually. I, I view it as I'm I chose that and I like that.
2: Well, she was probably just being polite, but you know, usually. They, she and Lorena Gonzalez will use the word cobbling. We don't want people to be so destitute that they have to cobble all these jobs together. When, it, when you look at the statistics, I mean, a lot of people, a majority of the people that, that do gig work, they already either have a full-time job or a part-time job or co- are, are covered by their spouse's insurance or have their spouse's health insurance and they do it on the side. Just for fun or to make some extra cash, you know, on the weekend or whatever to pay for their kids little league. So, you know, they're looking she's looking at it through the lens of a, of a, of a full time job and she's discounting, you know, the way that most people, you know, approach gig work is that, you know, they're just it's just a side hustle. Something to make some extra cash. Turn on the app once in a while and go out there. Mm
1: hmm
3: you preserve flexibility while also creating security. And I think that what we have to remember here is that what's on the line is not just ride hail work, not just food delivery work, but really all service work. Because if we can, you know, all corporations want to lower their labor overhead, everyone does since the 1970s, this idea of having a a worker that was loyal, that stayed with you and then got a gold watch at the end of their, you know, 40 year tenure, um, alongside their good pension, you know, this is just gone and HR sees employee uh, workers, they see employees, um, they see them as a necessary overhead that they want to minimize. Um, And so companies like Google will do this by hiring through staffing agencies. You know, Google has more uh, workers that they hire through staffing agencies than they do have full-time employees. And companies like Uber and Lyft will use contractor labor as opposed to employees so that they don't have to deal with the one one third, um, uh, the the additional 37, 33% overhead that they would have to pay into unemployment insurance, that they would have to pay in workers' compensation, et cetera. But there's nothing actually about like you can be an employee and um for for workers' compensation purposes, but not be an employee for um for wage purposes. So like there's not um, the law is not written in such a way as like you're either an employee or you're an independent contractor. Um the law was really written as in like when it was written in the 1930s during the New Deal as a way that all subordinated workers um people who worked with or for corporations had the ability to have some semblance of security in their lives. So the idea was you should be able to, if you work for 40 hours a week, you should be able to um, predict how much you're going to make during those 40 hours a week to, to protect your family. If you work in a dangerous job, you should have some protection. Um, instead of, instead of paying for these things through taxes, um, that were imposed more broadly, they, they pay, pay for them specifically through employer taxes. And so because we pay for, for social security, workers' compensation, unemployment insurance through employer taxes, it incentivizes um, hiring entities to say, well, we don't have an employer. We don't employ anyone. We're not, we're not employees. Um, and so that leaves me with these two issues. On the one hand, you have um, a workforce that clearly needs security. We know that one um, one-fifth of workers in the Bay Area prior to Prop 22, was just a study that was done prior to Prop 22 after you accounted for their expenses, they were making zero money. So this is a precarious workforce that needs some security. On the other hand, these are people who also need flexibility um, and that cannot work nine to five nine to five jobs. So how do you get both of these things? Um, my, I think that one of the amazing things that technology makes possible is, um, is flexibility. <laughs> like, you actually could have, like, in, if the companies wanted you to, you could have the same flexibility that you have today and have workers' compensation and have unemployment insurance. It's that they don't, that they want to hold that to, that gun to your head to say, look, if we have to give you workers' compensation, if we have to give you unemployment insurance, then we're never, then we'll take away all of your flexibility. Um, it's not clear to me that they would take away that.
2: Um, you know, they've 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 come up with this new line of of defense about flex, the using flexibility as that being that's the end all be all to why we want to be independent contractors. And they think well you know especially since the pandemic you know a lot of companies are offering what they say is flexibility you can work from home now or remotely or whatever but being an independent contractor isn't just about and being your own boss isn't just about flexibility it's about you know charging your own rates picking and choosing your own clients not being beholden to a single boss or an employer um being able to uh deduct your expenses and some some careers and professions that is very very important when you're an employee mm-hmm. you can't do that as a writer you, what you're able to um ret- as an independent contractor retain your intellectual property rights which is you know something that you write doesn't you you can you can republish or resell or whatever but if you're an employee you can't you know and also just the opportunity that independent contracting brings to to give you a leg up in in, in the profession of your choice and get, be able to try new things, you know, like with the opera companies, for example, the mid-tier opera companies are are training grounds and for, 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 you know, young singers to be able to, to work their way up the ladder. And so independent contracting does it, 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 for me, if I were just stuck in one lane in a job, we wouldn't have had the opportunities that have, that I've have been afforded to me as an independent contractor being able to do all of these variety of different, you know, skill sets that I've added as to to my resume as a creative professional.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna play a little, I'll play a little catch up here with Chad. So John Lopez says that here in Illinois, the National Writers Union pushed bill, freelancer worker protection law was signed by governor, uh, what is it, Pritzker, uh, and takes effect July 1st of next year. Uh, Joe Beth says that Vina um, said we are all white women married to wealthy men. I don't know anyone in our nationwide coalition who fits that description. In California, our coalition against AB Five is extremely diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, she also said that so Vina dismissed every person of color in our coalition, including dozens of women uh, of color who testified in public to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, And she finally said that exemptions were handed out to well-funded groups, pay to play.
2: Yep, all of that. And Joe, I don't know what's the details of that law in Illinois, but, um, you know, there's, it's happening in other states, in Minnesota and Michigan. You know, I I spoke at a task force uh, in Minnesota because they're considering the ABC test. You don't want to see the ABC test from California spreading to other states because of the chaos. And they all know that it's a disaster in California, but yet they still want to ram it through in some places.
0: Yeah, I I don't I don't see how you could uh, look at this whole thing. You've had enough time to look at it now if you're another state and go, this didn't work. (laughs) Yes. I mean, like it's I don't know me. I don't know how it's not that clear to other people.
2: I, I don't know. It's just they're clinging to the past almost. It's anachronistic, you know. That the new wave of working is here, you know, right. with on-demand gig platforms and and all the rest. And um, there's got to be some kind of, you know, as as um, flawed as Prop Twenty Two might be with its protect with its benefits and protections purported, it it at least it kind of paves away or or, or jumpstarts an idea that there could be a a third kind of hybrid classification for, for workers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a big problem. I've always said, I think that's a big problem that around the, the app based gig economy anyway, is that there was no definition made as to what it is and how it works (laughs) before now the laws are coming into place and there's still no definition for it. It was never a traditional gig economy job like i think there are some challenges that well, I can, skirt around and things like this so
2: i can totally understand the people who who hate prop 22 and think it's outrageous that these these companies got to carve out their own basically write their own labor law that exempts them not only from the abc test of of AB5, but also the traditional Borello test, which everybody else is held to. If right. you're if me, if I have an if I have an exemption that exempts me from the ABC test of AB5, I'm still held to the Borello standard. Everybody is, including doctors and lawyers, but right. Sure isn't. So I can I can understand why that that would rub people the wrong way. But by the same token, I wasn't about to vote no on Prop 22 because I'm freelancers against AB5 and a vote for no, no. On Prop Twenty Two mean, meant that you were endorsing AB Five as a law that should be enforced, and that eighty—I guess it was seventy-five to eighty percent of, of drivers wanted to remain independent contractors, and that was the you know the bottom line with a with with Prop Twenty Two was the independent contractor issue.
0: Yeah, Joe Beth kind of hit on something that stuck with me here that Vina knows about these app drivers only drive a few hours. I, I can say that we know that nationwide eighty-five percent of the gig economy of the app-based gig economy works 20 hours or less a week. And we know that 65% works under 10 hours a week. So, I mean, only 15% is full time. (laughs) So we're we're dealing with such a small percentage that if she knew that she would know that this, this wasn't going to provide much benefit with you. And I were talking about this in the beginning for the, you know, for the, um, for to get the the insurance and things like that, like you right. have to meet a lot of requirements that most of them won't meet.
2: Right. It's about engaged hours and all the rest. So, yeah. you know, but, but by the same token, every other profession that got exemptions or carve outs, maybe five, we don't get benefits and stipends and protections carved into our exemption. You know, I see that those, those purported perks that they, they threw into prop. 22 has kind of like cheap stocking stuffers wrapped in a shiny bow you yeah. know but the, the the real present under the tree is the fact that you can remain an independent contractor
1: yeah. because I mean, then
2: what what do you want what do you what do you want what's the alternative you want to be an employee driver be careful yeah. what you wish for
0: yeah no i've i've said this many times you know not only do you not want that even the people who think they want that i I never understood because just go out and get a W2 if that's the case. Right. I mean, so there's I'm W2s to be had for good, good pay, decent pay. So, I mean, if you just want a W2, go get one because don't drop a grenade in it for everybody else.
2: Yeah. But, but Vina Duval equates everything equates it through the lens of, um, of, uh, racism here. I have a quote from her. Uh, Prop 22 at the gig economy takes the racist ideologies from the early part of the 20th century and reinscribes them into law and grows them so that mo- the most vulnerable people of color in the workforce do not have the ability to predict their income. So from her viewpoint, she has this extreme viewpoint that, that the, the failures of Prop 22 or whatever, or, or this rideshare model is really because you know it's all about white supremacy and, and racial injustice in the end and it's deliberate
3: flexibility because then I think they wouldn't have a workforce um, but how do you how do you create flexibility and I think there are two ways to do that two ways to create flexibility alongside um, alongside security and that is we can legislate for flexibility we could say look no matter what if you are working for an app-based company you can log on anytime and work anytime within some sort of reasonable boundaries um and um, and that would sort of prevent them from saying you know look Steve, if you haven't worked for six weeks, you can't work after that. Um, but I think that um, another way to get there, and this is something that we've seen um, in the for much of the 20th century, is through union contracts. Um, you know, when you have a, con- a union that is a collective bargaining unit that is bargaining on behalf of a the workforce, they can bargain for things like flexibility. And in fact, we I saw that in the you know my studies of the taxi industry um, for for most of the 20th century, from like 1909 to the, to the late 1970s. The taxi workforce was was flexible in the same way that you that you know you and I understand flexibility. There were many people again who lived transnational lives, particularly in the sixties and seventies, who came and went. Um, there was a lot of like sitting around, drinking coffee, eating sandwiches, um, people working when they needed to, and that was all part of the way the 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 union was able to structure um, structure. And you know, that's not to say that that was that was a perfect time or that those are the perfect. Um, you know there are other things wrong. I think with the tax industry, which I write about um, in some great length. But, there, but again, like it is possible, it is possible to have security and it is possible to have flexibility. And I think that the fact that the narrative is one or the other um, is 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 part of it's an employer narrative. It's the narrative of the company that that wants to give as little to their workers as possible. Um, and, and to take as much as possible you know there's no there are there's there are actually there are some companies in San Francisco as a result of AB5 who are on demand companies um I have a colleague who writes about this um Juliet Shore you should look at her work um they're on demand companies that actually moved to an employee model and they say two things they say um and and still have flexibility um
2: Steve are you aware of any companies in San Francisco that are on our w2 on demand models because no.
0: I, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure that I'm familiar with all of them and there's not.
2: Because you had Sprig, you had Ship, you had Lux Valet, and you had Eden. And they all went belly up. They tried to be, they tried to. I mean,
0: Ship is still around. That's Target.
2: Yeah. But I mean, it was uh like Sprig was in San Francisco and they had like 57 million dollars in funding and they tried to do that employee model like she's asking for and it didn't last for more than a year before they before they closed up shop so i'm not sure which ones what 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 she's talking about
0: yeah i mean when you said i mean you just mentioned shipped anyway i would also point out amazon flex amazon's oh. one of the largest businesses on the planet and flex is allowed too Yeah, so I mean,
2: and you know, here's another thing about um, Uber and Lyft and rideshare. Do you know that in California, there's 300 school districts that contract with um, these on-demand companies um, to to drive special needs and foster children and that to back and forth to schools. And then when Prop 22, before it even went into effect, the federal government, I think they brokered a contract of 800 million dollars with uber and lyft uh to to drive you know people you know federal workers around around dc
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know so so they talk it's like who's you got one side and the other side but they're all kind of you know contradicting each other
1: yeah
3: They say two things. One are it's actually been better for them because they have, um, they have not, they don't have such churn or turnover. Like they have the same workforce that they like, like, and that, and that they, um, that is sort of professionalized and knows what they're doing. Um, and, um, and the workers say like, great, (laughs) like I have the best of both worlds. I have flexibility and I have, um, and I have the ability to um, predict at the end of the day, how much I'm going to make. And I'm not worried about like a rate cut in, in two weeks time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like this can all be engineered. There's no, like, there's no, way that this like there's no world in which this has to be work that is unpredictable and unprotected and inflexible um it can be any combination of flexible predictable and then it can be it can be all of these things it's just it's just a matter of re-situating where they invest their money you know instead of giving the ceo um a billion dollars instead of paying lawyers billions of dollars to fight these lawsuits instead of paying lobbyists billions of dollars to um to change the law like they could they could reallocate this money and um and and provide um provide flexibility to their workforce simultaneously they just don't want to
2: i don't see how that 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 is just pie in the sky thinking
0: you know the big when it comes down to flexibility it's um, we we know it's not a law that a company can't let you have flex work. It's that no company does.
3: Well, I mean, companies. This is what I was just saying is that companies have been doing this since eighty five passed in California, right. I, I
0: just mean the actual what we're used to is the gig model of being able to jump on. Yeah, That, no, no. Have, that would,
3: is precisely what's happening. I mean, right? They um, they you of course have they to. They would limit. have
0: to move to some kind of limiting. And
3: <laughs> well, what they did was they limited. They just say like we have X number of people, and these are the people that were that are going to you know, have flexible schedules to work. And it's not like everyone in the world who wants to sign up for Uber.
0: Just so you know, I have no idea what she's talking about. I have no idea who she's talking about. This doesn't exist.
2: I know. I I mean and you would know and I could tell by the tone of your voice that you were very dubious about what she was saying. And also it's just not possible. You know but
0: but she's also but she's saying that it is not only is it possible she was saying that it's happening right now. (laughs) I was like I don't I'm like, there's there's no business in the planet that just lets you clock in when you want.
2: Yeah, if you if you were all, if you were paid paid by the hour <laughs> as a, as a worker, you would be. I mean, as a gig driver, you know, yeah. how does that how does that prevent somebody from just sitting in bed all day with the app turned on?
0: Right. Well, I mean, the way that they did it, even California's Prop Twenty Two, you're only paid for the active time. Right. You're not paid for having the app on and sitting at home.
2: But that's not what she, she doesn't like that. According to what oh. she's saying.
0: Well, she, according to her, just, you can, you can have your cake and eat it too.
2: How can I, how can I, as a freelance writer, be, uh, charge my own rates per project and everything else like that, like I'm used to doing and I've always done. If I'm a W2 employee, no matter how much quote unquote flexibility she thinks I can be granted. What does that look like? It doesn't, you know, you're on a salary or, you know, or hourly. If you charge by the hour, you have to. I, I mean, it just it doesn't make sense how a <laughs> business person like myself and like all these other hundreds of categories of professions can just uh, automatically become, you know, W two employees and have flexibility. If you want flexibility, be your own boss.
1: Yeah.
3: Sign up for Uber. But that's like, of course, what you want in any labor market. You don't want like unbridled supply of workers when demand is so low otherwise you get a situation like we have here in california in the bay area where people are driving 16 hours um, and not able to make a living because there's so many people all of a sudden driving now that their unemployment insurance has run out um, so like of course you i mean that's like good business that you it's good business good for the workers to have to say like yes we want a finite number of people who do this job um we don't want you know everyone everyone in the world doing the job but um, but but those workers who are doing it can have flexibility and there can be two tiers of workers. There can be part time workers and full time workers and part time workers can work during periods of high demand and full time workers can work whenever. I mean, there's so many ways. Yeah,
0: you know, I got I got to say at this point that now time is showing a different story because with the illegals that are in the country right now, mm-hmm. a lot of them are working these jobs mm-hmm. because they can you can buy you can buy accounts on the black market. You can go to the dark web and buy an account. You can rent them for per day from people. So that you're using their account and then you can cycle it and run it 24 hours a day and have three different people working at eight hour shifts.
2: Yeah. That's a problem.
0: So now you've got people who haven't been background checked being put into positions where people could be in jeopardy or whatever, and it's not the correct person doing the work.
2: Yeah. The ride hailing business model is always going to have, you know, Problems, it seems to me.
0: Yeah. I mean yeah. it's I mean the the you know Sergio had said a, a very easy solution, and I know the technology didn't used to be there, but he's right, like it it would be a good start for because it's happening more on delivery platforms than rideshare, where a lot of these accounts are being rented. But he said, just have it every two. He he's like, I'm an immigrant, so I'm not being a jerk here. He's like, just have every two hours, they have face, facial recognition.
2: There you and go. Like,
0: hey, make sure it's you.
2: That's the industry solving the problem within itself, you know? They, they right, see but, a problem. They but, but by letting
0: it be triple it oversaturated, it's to right. their advantage because now they can lowball the offers. Right. And yeah. people will still take them, where when it's just normal oversaturated, people will pick and choose what's best for them. Hmm. But it's just, it's become a... It's again a race to the bottom, which is a, a thing we used to say, and now we don't say it as much. But it's becoming a race to the bottom again.
2: Yeah, but it, every every driver gig worker is is caught in that race to the bottom. It's not just the people that are immigrants and and right. people of color. Right, but, but
0: one of Sergio's points that I really that stuck with me is he's like, you know, the people that come over from other countries that have got into here. He's like, you know, to you. I'm like, but I know people, you know, there's people who renting accounts out who all they do is have it in their name and they rent it for hundred bucks a day or 120 a day. What if the person can only make 200? He goes, that's still $75. Do you know in their country, they'd only make 10? Right.
2: Well, the solution really is to close the border
0: <laughs> or yeah.
2: secure the border. Right. You know, but I'm what, saying right, that's, exactly. that has become a big
1: infiltration.
2: over the border are going to take on these, you know, and, and they're going to, Bring down the, the going rate for everyone else.
0: Yeah. But the because it's so easy to get into this, that's become a, a huge outlet for them to, to make money. And it's and it's hurting all the people who really really hustle this and do it right. Wow.
3: Do this. And the trade-off here is that a majority, um, racial minority and immigrant work
0: oh my, my point to that anyway, too, was that i wonder where her viewpoint is now with the illegals that have jobs because of this
2: she probably thinks they're being exploited and racially subjugated and and that they're you know i mean it's it's no different than than you know the she what she calls the the new racial wage code you know, like at the New Day Deal, she talks about the New Deal and how it discriminated against black Black Americans in terms of minimum wage.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: now she thinks it's the same. She says it's the same type of thing going on with Prop Twenty Two and rideshare industry. Um, these are people for the
3: for the most part the people that are doing the, the work um, as you know the, most of the work are people who are working more than 30 hours a week and um, and these are people who 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 need these are people for whom uh, minimum wage laws were written who, for whom unemployment insurance laws were written for whom workers compensation laws were written and they need these basic protections I also hear very very um, very very Clearly, that they want and need flexibility, and I've been talking for you know for a while to legislators, legislators about how they need to move to to facilitate this, just as they have, um, as they have moved to um, to provide
0: basic protections. Yeah, I mean because I know, I mean just most almost every driver I talk to.
2: I heard her say two things. She talks a lot to legislators, legislators, and she also organizes.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) So is she is she actually? A rideshare drivers United organizer misclassified as a law professor? Hmm.
0: Well, she does have a law degree. I I'm guessing. I mean, I actually don't have proof of it, but
2: (laughs) if you read her new racial wage code, which I read before yeah, you know, I reread it actually before this today. Um she she makes it sound like she's just studying these people and she has nothing to do with with any behind the scenes organizing at all. And she actually quotes Nicole Moore. You know who she is? She's the, she's a white woman who actually makes a hundred oh, well over hundred and eleven thousand dollars a year with the county of Los Angeles, who who claims to be this poor impoverished you know Lyft driver. And she's actually, you know, she's the organizer. She's the go to person that they interview. And she and Bavina DuBal organize together. Mm-hmm. They do. You know, they do.
1: Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And again, it's, it's market to market. I mean, I talk to so many markets where people are doing great. Um, I talk to so many markets that are so flooded that you can't make it done. Yeah. Um, so it, it really and, is,
3: and that is precisely like that is always going to be the case without regulation, you know. And it's gonna and it's gonna and what will happen, of course, is um, it might change. It might be one market that's flush with cash right now or flush with demand, and then that will rapidly shift for various reasons. Um, and those rapid shifts end up hurting, um, hurting the people who are producing the value for the company. Um, you know, it's not going to hurt the engineer or the PR guy or the relations executive. It's going to hurt the driver um, who doesn't have who's not going to have
1: anything to
0: fall back on. Okay. Um, So I have one last question for you today, Vina, and I'm going to touch you free, and I really appreciate your time, but uh, so moving aside from California and 85, because right now I feel like, you know, I also get, you know, I get so upset with both ways of looking at this often, because the companies, even who wrote Prop 22, clearly there's been some issues with them following Prop 22 that they wrote themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that. So I mean you know the state that it's in right now i, I understand that it's going to now come to california having to decide about the 85 thing and and without getting into pro act, because i think that's a little too much for today i wanted to at least ask you about massachusetts bill h1234 yeah and, and i wanted to ask you about this because it appears like they in the beginning when i was first watching was it appeared to be modeling 85 but now it seems to be trying to do some things in a different way like the is it the coalition to protect workers
3: yeah hr1234 is a prop 22 um uh, copycat law, um, so it has it has the same things that um, that Prop Twenty Two has, uh, which is to make all the workers independent contractors and so to this,
0: this law is being trying to be passed before an AB Five type law. They're yes. trying to pass the 12, Prop Twenty Two type
3: first. Yes, yeah. So they're doing two things. They have introduced this um, this uh, this House bill that's very much like Prop Twenty Two they've also introduced an initiative it's very strategic so they've introduced initiative which would also be just like prop 22 and is just like prop 22 but would be um you know not all states have a have an initiative system of a direct democracy system that massachusetts does just like california and so they have introduced both things on um, the initiative would not be voted on until um 2022 so the next year um and what they're trying to do i think is to spur enough um I think that it's, I think that they know that they likely wouldn't be able to pass such an initiative in Massachusetts because of the bad reputation that prop 22 has after it got passed in California. You know, there's a lot of regret in California, even by people who, who voted in favor of the law, um, given what we've seen and you know, the amount of misinformation that went into passing the law. And so, um, I think that what they're trying to do is to, um, to create some sort of compromise at the legislative level. So it's like a game of, um, uh, what's, you know, like, it's like they're they're starting at the bottom with this HR 1234, or whatever, whatever the number is and, um, and then trying to see if they can get, um, you know, stakeholders, uh, unions, drivers groups to bargain with them over something that's maybe a little better than the prop 22, um, but not quite employment status.
0: I mean, because I see this as I mean, now that you know, you're, you're standing like I see this as they're gonna if they're doing, first of all, I really don't understand why they're I, I would guess that it's because there's a there's legislation coming.
3: Well, no, they're doing this because they're doing this because Attorney General Maura Healey has sued them. Um, they already have the ABC test in Massachusetts. Um, okay, they've had so. it for, for years since the 90s. And so um, the Attorney General of the state has sued them to comply with the law. Um, and they um, and so it's, they're, they're in a, the same situation that we were in, um, last, you know, in 2020 and early 2020. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to um, before that before before that lawsuit um, is decided and then there is an injunction against them, they're trying to
0: get a law passed that will relieve them of this um, of these duties. And you're you're talking about the time when A B five was passed until the time that yes, they threatened Prop 22 to leave passed until yeah. the Prop twenty two vote. Yeah,
3: that's right. Exactly. Um. Um. So that's what's going on in, um, in in Massachusetts. But we know it's interesting, and we have a roadmap for their, for what they do.
0: Well, that's, that's what I was going to hit on here, was that I was going to say, so in California, Prop 22 costs $205,370,000, mm-hmm. you know, 59.5 DoorDash, 52.1, or that was Uber, 52.1 DoorDash, 49 left, and then 31.6 Instacart and Postmates. Still a little um, bit, that's not Uber. Enough, yeah. Right, but is that... Do you think that that's gonna become a pattern for states then? Is that Uber and Lyft are gonna move this thing and keep yeah. spending $205 million in every yeah. state?
3: Well, I think that not every state has a proposition system. So there are a finite number of states, and, and the um, this has been there. This is what they've been done. First, what they did was they tried to get all local regulations preempted. So in most states in um, in the US, Local regulators are not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to touch Uber and Lyft. It's all done by state regulators. So in California, only the CPUC can do anything with regard to regulating Uber and Lyft or the California legislature. Like the city of San Francisco, for example, can't say, we need emergency sick leave for these workers because the CPUC preempts preempts their ability to do any kind of local regulation. And this is true, they've done this all over the country. They have um, created situations where there can only be state regulation um, whether they've done that through through laws or or what, have you. this is what they've done. So now their next thing, now that they've created a, a, a legal environment in which they only have to deal with states. Um, their next thing is to pass state-level laws like Prop 22, and so they have this map uh, going on in Massachusetts. Um, they also have this going on in Ontario. This was just introduced in Ontario um, and in Canada as well. Um, I think that they're trying something similar in um, in Massachusetts. Um, they tried something similar in Connecticut. So anywhere that they see a threat to their business model or they see legislators moving to, to provide workers any benefits like unemployment insurance, for example, um, they're gonna. They're going to. They're going to try and introduce introduce this. It's worth noting in um, in New York State, Uber and Lyft drivers are employees for purposes of unemployment insurance. They get um, they they get UI as a result of um, litigation by the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, and they're eligible for UI, which has been really 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 important. Um, during the pandemic, because UI actually offers a lot more than PUA. Um, it's like a significant. You know, it can be up to in California, it was up to something like thousand dollars a month more. Um, right. And um, and in New York City workers also have a wage floor. Um, um, and there are some issues with flexibility. Um, you know, they've what they've done is basically made it difficult for drivers to like, get, if they're driving back into Manhattan, to get on um, all all things that can be regulated for. Their, I mean, they're doing it on purpose so that this model doesn't spread, but it is possible to have like fluid insurance and a wage floor, and, um, and I think that what the um, what the drivers in New York City have pushed for and gotten um, is such like a beautiful a, a beautiful example of, of really um, what is possible elsewhere, and they do not want it to spread. So they tried this in New York State also, as you know, um, and there it was the effort was subverted in large part because they these drivers were going to have to give away these two things that they won: unemployment
1: insurance and a wage floor. Well,
0: um, I could yeah. So that's that's the end of Vena, but I gotta I gotta say to that that. I know drivers in New York. And when this happened, the wage floor that she's talking about, I often refer to it as where the floor meets the ceiling. Mm-hmm. That wage floor was really all they could earn too.
2: Wow. Well, she mentioned pandemic unemployment assistance. Yeah. And do you know that um she accused me of a li- lot she personally accused me personally of libeling her? Did I ever tell you the story?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> She and her cohorts wrote this open letter during the pandemic to Congress saying that about the CARES Act, which was going to um, distribute, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
2: pandemic unemployment assistance to various people, including independent contractors. And she signed her name to a letter that was written stating uh, that they didn't want anybody who they deemed to be misclassified to be receiving pandemic unemployment assistance, you know, which could, I mean, she thinks everybody's misclassified, right? <laughs> if yeah. you're an independent contractor. So I posted something to my to my group and I said, look, uh, Lorena Gonzalez's bestie, Vina Duval, on her elk part seeking to prevent independent contractors from collecting pandemic unemployment assistance. And I, I screenshot the passage and I circled the, the, the sentence. And she came back, I I heard it, somebody was following her by that time. I I mean, most all of us were blocked by her way, way back earlier than prop before Prop 22 even was a thing, Um, because she doesn't want to hear anything, anybody's. She doesn't want to hear anything from the opposition. And so um, she said, oh, vicious fake information for her virulent people, her representation constitutes the legal definition of libel (laughs) and i'm like what no kidding so i had one of the one of the attorneys in our group called me right away and she goes hey if she does file a libel uh uh claim against you or lawsuit against you we'll just file i'll 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 work for you for free and we'll file on anti-slap motion and she'll she'll end up having to pay out tens of thousands of dollars to you because you are allowed the members of the public are allowed to comment on pol- political you know you know something like a public public letter to congress you know and then but she this was after she she was they when prop 22 when they realized that prop 22 was probably going to pass she and her buddies got together in the media and decided to wage this campaign against all independent contractors claiming that we were bought and paid for by uber that uber had sent out the house had had were paying us to harass her personally you know so all these did this it was like what is going on there was an article in the new york times there was an article in cnet and she was naming independent contractors that you're aware of on twitter as people who were, were were harassing her publicly and and but but that Uber was paying us to do it. It was nuts.
1: I, yeah, mean, I never I really understood. I, never really...
2: I only responded to one of her tweets, way back early after AB5, AB5 passed, and she blocked me. And that was, she she tweeted, the short term pain. From the labor shakeups across hundreds of industries, will be worth the recentering of worker power. That was her tweet, and I responded with a, a photograph of Nurse ratchet and she blocked me. <laughs> you know, and she was very, very antagonistic with all the freelancers, saying the same types of thing, calling us hysterical, telling us to get over it. It's exhausting. She brought kind of brought it on herself, you know, because she was a spokesperson. She's the go-to person. She's not just somebody sitting up in a little, you know, ivory tower well, kind of uh, ivory tower of academia, you know, not directly involved. She is the go-to person for these that these labor reporters to interview anytime there's any kind of article about quote unquote exploited workers and Uber and Lyft and and all the rest. I mean, she's a very she is a public figure, and she was. Like I said, she was um, intricately involved in the in the dynamics decision because they cited her in their decision.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think the I think you know it was frustrating because I again I'll go back to the I think she knew more. I really do. I I think there were times during that discussion where she she knew things that we weren't. You know, like even the 2257, just the little things. Well, I like, heard I her actually. It. I think that's what it was called. That that stuff one, was two, three, four, I think it was.
2: I, I heard her say that Uber and Lyft passed Prop 22 themselves. I yeah. I had to raise my hand when she said that, but um, no, the voters passed it. So I don't yeah. know if she's just misspeaking and tr- or trying to pull the wool over your eyes or what. Well,
0: I mean, I think I think that we, I don't know. I think we were on the same page that it was voted on. Right. So we definitely were not talking about Uber passing it. We knew, we discussed that it was voted on.
2: You know, I, I, I don't take issue with the fact that her lane is, is, is ride share and delivery and talking about these platforms and, you know, whatever her, her viewpoint is about them. What I take issue with, with her is, is, her dismissive attitude of haughty disdain toward everybody all the dolphins in the tuna net and all of us freelancers and independent contractors and small business people and entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals who've been harmed by this law the way that she just dismisses it and says it's hysteria and she says it over and over and over again and she doesn't have the the wherewithal or the desire to 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 listen to the to the to understand the, the full ramifications of what does these labor laws bring, because to her and people like her, the collateral damage is acceptable. It's it's like she said, it's acceptable. Yeah. And, and she doesn't think it's, it's real or whatever, but that's, it's very, and that's why she was getting backlash on Twitter, because she kept tweeting those kinds of things over and over to people and making these kinds of statements and people who had just lost their livelihoods and their careers were just like completely offended by the, the notion that we were making all of this up. And then she just doubled down and tripled down on all of that. And she continues to to do that to this day.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with the way that she views things either. I, I just have a problem. I guess my issue is the way she explains it.
1: I like think I just, it counts- too
0: often my brain feels like it's being sliced in half by a razor blade.
2: Well, if I recommend that you read that, that wage, um, that paper of hers, because I'll tell you what, um, she actually wrote something that made it sound like, here, let me see if I can find it. Hmm. Here it is. She says Nicole Moore, a Lyft driver and organizer with Rideshare Drivers United, a statewide group of self-organized ride-hail drivers, described Prop Twenty-Two as a lineage lin, as part of a lineage of racial exclusion from state worker protections. So she quotes Nicole Moore: Prop Twenty-Two, plain and simple, puts all of us app-based workers in a second-class worker status permanently, historically. Um, and just like domestic farm work, domestic workers and farm workers, we're a majority people of color and immigrant workforce. And somehow people make up lies that it's okay for us to not have access to the same protections and wage floors as everyone else. Nicole Moore is not a person of color and she makes six figures with the with the the county of Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, I and think has- you're I think you're not supposed to know that. <laughs>
2: Well, it's it's uh,
0: <laughs> I mean, I do. I think that that's the kind of thing that you're not supposed to. She just figures most people won't look into that.
2: But it's duplicitous in her paper. She actually pretends like this person that she's quoting, who she's actually really organizing with behind the scenes, doing all these protests and all the various different things that they do is a person of color and that, that their uprising was organic when it was organized by big labor. They're organized. They're organizing yeah Rideshare drivers united and nicole moore's assault yeah you know assault meaning just like that guy yeah. leading with dynamics there are people that they the the you know the sci i will say i think she's probably assault you know yeah. why would she be driving for lift if she makes the kind of money money she does with um with the um, county of los angeles
0: well i don't think i mean I don't think she drives anymore.
2: well, she's still being quoted she and Vina Du Mo- she and Vina du ball are the people that are always quoted in all of the this major media stories about any labor exploitation issues with around ride hail and and any other kind of you know vena Vina ventures out and thinks she knows what's going on with 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 journal the journalism profession which she doesn't. Yeah. So, you know that she's kind of sets herself up as somebody who is should be unapproachable and not, you know, I, I just don't understand why she doesn't want if if you're really serious about crafting labor law that's going to help everybody and not hurt so many people, you would okay. want to see what the what the unintended and intended consequences of this law is. You would want to know about it.
1: Yeah.
2: I would think. I would. Yeah. I mean, that's why I read her that's why I read some of her papers and I listened to some of her interviews. I want to I want to hear what they have to say. Because there oh, are yeah, other,
0: other points of view. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's initially that's why I had her on, is because she did have a completely different point of view than me, but I wanted to understand it better. But I don't think she did the the best job explaining it.
2: Well, I think unfortunately that academia academics like her uh inform the labor movement and they're using critical race theory as as a wedge to 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 you know i mean I, I that's just my feeling about it you know um she said let's see i gotta read this to you uh i can't find it um i'll find it in a minute um oh here she said she said that in ge- academics like herself are a subjective people. this is a quote they are a subjective people who shape and engage the world with everything we write and everything we say. Wow. <laughs> I bet you she's never held an actual regular job outside of a college campus. Same with Lorena Gonzalez. These people don't know what it's like to run your own business or to work your way up from the top, you know, as a, as a, as a worker. Because they are in their own sort of, you know, tunnel vision, lofty perch. Hmm.
0: I don't know. I know. I do know that it took, uh, I know it was just recently. It was when you, Kim, and I did something and Mike a few, like, six, seven weeks ago. That's when I finally got blocked by Lorena. Yeah. She exactly. didn't block me up until then. I'm kind of sure. I was kind of like, part of me was kind of like, yes, if I finally made the group, and part <laughs> of me was like, why'd you wait till now to block me?
2: She doesn't want to hear any, I, I don't know. Uh, she, <laughs> must have, she must have seen something that came. I think coming.
0: she. I think that she was like, he's not offensive enough yet, and it's still a window for me to peek <laughs> through to see his tweets.
2: Well, congratulations, you joined us. You know, but but she was, she's talking about all of us freelancers in my group and people on Twitter. She was blocking yeah. us way before
1: that's what i mean way I was, way way no the, I and she that.
2: blocks people she blocks there's a whole bunch of people that would say gosh i got blocked by her and i've never even engaged with her or heard about heard of her at all you know yeah. so i think i think anybody that has any 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 viewpoint that's different than hers or comes from what she views as the evil freelancer against ab5 side is somebody that she does not want to engage with yeah you know and and she thinks that that we are dangerous people you know, somebody doxed her, uh, her address. But I think, and it was it was one of the one of the people on Twitter. You know, I think she was an interpreter. But um, only to only to show that she lived in a some tony neighborhood in Silicon Valley. Not not that you know there was going to be pitchforks and you know protests and you know people you know burning her house down or anything like that. You know, I wasn't a part of any of that. You know, yeah. I have rules of, of engagement in my group, you know, and, and you have
0: to so sort for of. All, for all you know, she had somebody do that anyway.
2: Yeah, she made, they, they, they decided that, like I said, they, they, when, when, when they realized Prop 22 was going to pass, they had to figure something out. So they, they did this, this shock and awe campaign, accusing our freelancer movement of personally, racially harassing her and being influenced by the, and paid for by the, by rideshare, which was just absurd. I mean, I've never talked to anybody in the top in, in, in rideshare other than a couple of drivers. You know, yeah. I do know the person Joe was t- asking about Olson versus the state of California. I do. Lydia Olson is a member of my group. And that um, that ruling. Uh, Vina DuBal wrote an amicus brief or participated in an amicus brief against it, the Ninth Circuit, ruled that Lorena gonzalez was you know backroom dealing and and behaving badly and 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 um, had a blatant animus against uber and lyft and 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 that the the exemptions were were arbitrary and didn't make any sense and that they probably ab5 violates the 13th amendment I mean the, the equal protection clause under the fourteenth amendment and and all the rest. I mean it was a really scathing ruling. It 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 named Lorena Gonzales by name 14 times for all of her bad thuggish behavior. And um and so uh there was finally a glimmer of hope, you know, that that a, a court, a panel of three judges at the, the Ninth Circuit were seeing 85 in the same way that we all see it. It's like unconstitutional, and it and it picks winners and losers, and it violates the equal protection clause. And it was aimed at, at Uber and Lyft, and everybody else is caught in tuna net.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that I was asking her too. Was that you know wasn't this initially meant at the gig app based platform gig economy? And, sh- and again, it was an I don't know answer. Those I don't know answers really rubbed me wrong. I don't know. It's <laughs> I just felt like. I, I didn't care what her answer was, but I just didn't like, I don't know. Like, just well, be honest with me. I, it's when, better when,
2: than her spouting something that's completely false about something she really doesn't know anything about, like opera. Yeah. Well, I mean, and she said and about Dale, it just was so laughable. That, that, we talked about that in my group when, when we found out that she had said that. There were a bunch of opera people that came in and go, what, what is she talking about? That is absolutely nuts. It's not possible. It's not. It's so clearly she hasn't really read the law. She doesn't know the fine details of the law that she's touting out there. She's only focused on on gig. Yeah. Gig drivers. That's her sole focus. Seems to me. Yet she's de facto spokesperson for defending AB5 in the media.
0: I'll hear so, my I'll to those who th- to those that don't know, uh, do you want to do you want to tell everybody about your group so that people can come find it?
2: Yeah, Freelancers against a b five is a uh, a public Facebook group that I started right after the law was signed. So it's been four years now that i I just had my four year anniversary with the group. I started on November nineteenth and um i just i started it to see what other people from other professions might have to say about how it's if the law is affecting them and and we have close to eighteen thousand five hundred members and most of them were um you know independent contractors and small business people and anybody that's affected by the law and we have all sorts of conversations you know about specifics of the law and um you know but the main thing is people telling their stories and yeah. so i've We've identified 600 categories of professions that have been harmed or affected in one way or another at some point or other by AB5, and I archived all the stories that kept pouring in, pouring in, pouring in. I still get them, and I put them in my, that little archive that you brought up. Mm-hmm. And also, um, we, we I, I've focused on on businesses, small businesses that are under audit, because those are the real horror stories of AB5. Um, it's not just about independent contractors. It's about people, businesses that are getting audited for the crime of having an independent video, a contractor, videographer, or photographer, or an architectural renderer, or music teacher, or, you know, of all sorts of people that have come in and told me their stories about how they're getting audited by the EDD and, and subjected to just, a, just a, a range of astronomical fines and penalties that can include up to $25,000 per violation. For willful misclassification, and it's enough to put people out of business. And I've got people in the who've told me their audit stories—small mom and pops and single-person businesses—who've been put out of business because of the audit for something that they 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 had a mutual arrangement with somebody who had their own equipment, made their own hours, you know, um, set their own rates and everything else, and they still got audited and they still got fined. So, and what we're hearing now is that um, the EDD is just ignoring the exemptions altogether. They don't care that dog walkers got an exemption. If you pull up that that um, that um, archive, the, the story from the dog walker just came in just a couple of weeks ago, and they got fined $100,000, and dog walkers have an exemption. They got fined $100,000 for four dog walkers. I, I mean... Hello. And then there was another guy that came in. This is crazy, Steve. He was a trucker. He had a little family, small family fleet. And because AB5 is now in effect on truck trucking, um, he got audited for the years 2020 through 2022 and had to convert his drivers to employees or maybe not. Maybe he had to let them go. He got fined and penalized. And I, I wrote him back and I said, you have to be mistaken because... There was a there a preliminary injunction on the trucking industry, um, you know, from 2020 to 2022, while they fought it out in the court. So truckers could remain independent contractors and not have AB5 enforced against them. And he said, No, 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 they 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 their audit was was AB5. I was audited under the ABC test of AB5, and and I said, Are you sure it wasn't Borello or or Dynam- Dynamics or what? And he he showed me his paperwork, and it clearly said. That he was audited under ab5 and the abc test of ab5 and i'm like you'd need to did you have an attorney and he goes no and i said you need to contact the california trucking association and tell them your story because if they're they're pulling that kind of shit, these auditors don't even know who's exempt and who is
0: my guess is they don't anyway
2: they don't care now
0: <laughs> they told
2: they told the dog walker they, the dog walker said, do you know that we're exempt in A- from AB 2257, the cleanup bill? And she goes, the auditor told her, we've never, we don't, I don't know anything about AB 2257. And they said, okay, well, go Google it and look it up. And she looked it up and clearly dog walkers are exempt. And she said, it doesn't matter. We're finding you $100,000 anyways.
0: I mean, but here's the other thing. Um, just to point it out, the people that they're finding these $25,000, 000- for instance, they're not gonna pay those fines. They can't. And they're not gonna.
2: Well, they're 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 for taxing taxes. So if you don't pay, if you declare bankruptcy on those kinds of fines because you can't pay them, they'll put a lien on your assets. They'll put a lien on your house. So It's like,
0: so it's like, a, student it's like a student loan.
2: No. It's they'll they'll go after you. we had a there was a woman who got and I, I mentioned this before in one of the previous podcasts, but she was um she had a quadriplegic uh, adult son and her other son was the owner of the company, but she signed the checks and they told her she was going to owe $700,000 uh, in, in back taxes and, and benefits for, for just two independent contractors that they used off and on. And these these independent contractors had their own equipment. They set their own hours. They had their own rates. They just uploaded their video footage to her platform. and the, And she said, I can't pay this. And the auditor told her, well, we're going to put a lien on your mobile home, which is all outfitted to um, take care of her quadriplegic son. And they would put a lien on her handicapped van for her son that was like an $80,000 van. They would put a lien on that. That's how the state of California treats small business people. And the independent contractors themselves, they didn't want to be employees. They, one of them already had benefits because he was a retired military in his 70s. I I mean, these are the kinds of outrageous, horrible stories. And she told me she I wanted her to, um, you know, allow me to tell her story. And she says she's just too traumatized by it all. Gail, she told us that she got a letter from the EDD saying she owed twenty five thousand dollars for a independent contractor that she paid six hundred and ten dollars to twenty
1: five
2: thousand dollars. She said she got a letter. She was able to get that, you know. Um, erased or whatever, but I mean, can you imagine how you, uh, what, so that's why there's a chilling effect in California on independent contractors altogether, because even if you have an outright exemption, there's still the stories that are coming into our group is that they're, these, these, these businesses are getting penalized anyways, and they're ignoring the exemptions. I mean you
0: there's got to be some kind of there's got to be some kind of legal challenge you can have to these audits though.
2: You can appeal them. But their payroll tax audits if if the the D- Division of Labor Standards Enforcement comes in and they have their own separate penalties and fines for other things, you know, like what that to do with wages and hours and then then workers comp you know, uh, the Workers' Comp Appeals Board could fine you ten thousand dollars for not providing workers' comp. You know, if your if your independent contractors misclassified, and they're they're all you know in cahoots with one another. All these different agencies they can, you know, work together to really bring down the hammer on a single business or an industry. You know, like uh, and uh, so the there's this whole posse of enforcers. And, and so who in their right mind is going to want to hire an independent contractor in California, because the law, when you read it, it's just so convoluted. Like it's still like, if I wanted to, something that I used to do on the side was to help my friend who had running events, he would have 10k running events and he would have me come out, me and, and my friends, we would come out. And we would either hand out bib numbers or do the hand out the awards or do the timing or whatever, you know, and you, you pay pay to be uh, you pay that with a 1099. But there's no pathway in AB five for somebody like that because you're not customarily ga- engaged and you're being controlled and directed by the race director. So who's going to be able to, you know, these little event planners are really having are really struggling under AB five because they can't put everybody on payroll. You know right i mean why would they why would you put somebody on payroll for two hours worth of work once once a once a year at the turkey trot in dana point why would you do that
0: but the I single sure. engagement
2: event exemption does not allow for for that particular contracting arrangement you know well, it will probably fly under the radar when all is said and done but still
0: so, I see there's a comment from Joe Beth that that one woman who EDD said owed 700K. Mm-hmm. Um, they only employed contractors with LLCs, business licenses, press cards, etc.
2: That's correct. She knows who I'm talking about. These people were not employed, they were independent contractors. There were three of them. One of them was a young kid who waited until he turned 18 so he could he could get, take his video camera out into San Diego and f- shoot footage and then upload it to their platform. All they were were a platform where they you upload the video and news organizations would, you know, purchase the, and he was making, you know, 8,000, 9,000, $10,000 a month as an independent contractor when he finally got, you know, and the other guy was a, was a, in his seventies and he just wanted to, to, you know, stay active in his sunset years. And they, they had their own press credentials, like Joe bus said, they had their own equipment. They 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 picked and choose wherever they wanted to go, whatever they wanted to do. You know, they charged what they wanted, and yet this woman was on the hook for seven hundred thousand dollars, and she wasn't even the owner of the company. She just signed the checks because the law says that that you can go after certain people. You know, stakeholders in the company are they. You can pierce that veil, and and it, it, it's so it's it's a very dangerous thing you know um she a- actually ended up passing the audit when all of a sudden done because they backed off and um there was a there was an edd auditor that was in my group her name was cheryl <laughs> and people were like she's a plant she's in, in here looking for misclassification violations. And I said, no, 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 I want to talk to her and see what she has to say. So I talked to her and she said she was in the group because her husband was a, was a, um, a real estate appraiser and AB5 was completely and totally destroying his business. And they didn't have an exemption at that point. And that she herself personally thought it was a completely ludicrous law and that they didn't even know how they were even going to approach an audit. But she'd been with the EDD for many, many, many years. And she actually was in one of the departments where they would oversee abuses by EDD auditors. And I told her the story about the woman with the video platform and the quadriplegic son, And she said that is something that we would, you know, that my department, when I was ahead of that department, would investigate and put the clamp down on an auditor like that.
0: Yeah. Well clearly if you if if in any way you think this is a good law or you're you're you think it won't come to your state it could um you know i i I would say join i would say check out karen's group for one um but also you know we've done we've recorded some other pieces that you can go back and listen to too about the just nightmare of ab5 and so
2: one thing if i could i didn't mean to interrupt but if to make this relevant to, you, to your listeners across the country, is that this these ABC copycat sorts of bills are appearing in other states. And you also have to be on the lookout now for the USDOL is going to be finalizing a regulation, a rule under the Fair mm-hmm. Labor Standards Act that would restrict severely independent contracting. And they're about to unveil that rule any day now. Yeah. So you watch the shit hit the fan. There's going to be a whole lot of lawsuits and everything else. So. They're coming for you. They don't want, like what you're saying, they they want to squash that trajectory of the independent workforce, and especially in the gig economy. But unfortunately, they can't just, you know, focus on certain industries like janitorial and, you know, where there is a, a, a supposedly abuse and, and agriculture and and, you know, gig platforms. They have to, you know toss everybody overboard in their pursuit. And there's reasons for that. And it's because of unions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um you guys, I uh we've we've run a long time here. So thank you for sticking with us or thank you for popping in or watching on the replay. And I want to thank Karen for her time too, as always. And uh that's all I got for today. I don't Steve, know. thanks
2: for having me on. It was It was fun to listen. Well, I can't say it was fun to listen to her, but we listened to her. We listened to what she had to say. I wish she would listen to what we have to say.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe she'll get, maybe she'll see this or hear this. Who knows? So again, if if she does, Vina, it was just, it was for your benefit as well too. So yeah, just maybe help you understand the other side of it too.
2: Right. You know, there's
0: there's a complete other side. Yes.
2: Yeah, it's it's a very uh, complicated situation. And it affects a lot of people across the board. And when you have a law like this that does so much damage to so many people and is so destructive, it can't possibly be a good law. And it can't be the wave forward. Because if it were, then it would really be spreading across the country. So the fact that AB five is such a disaster in California is kind of a firewall for other states they are like, well, we want to, we want to address misclassification, but we don't want to do that, you yeah. know, because we're yeah. the canary in the coal mine here. Unfortunately, it's too late for us. It's just death by a thousand cuts.
0: That's why I hope at some point somebody repeals this stupid law. Cause, I mean, other, other, other States shouldn't be looking at this other, you know, it's not like you're going to learn something from this and go, let's just tweak it out a little. You can't just tweak it out a little. They well, tried AB2257, and it's still a mess.
2: I think it's important for rideshare people who don't understand the origins of Prop 22 to really, to really look at what AB5 is really about and why it was important that they got, that they all were allowed to remain independent contractors, even if everything else about it, some of the other things about it were disappointing.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I like I said to you in the beginning, I most people that I know, even in California, really don't. When I say, okay, well, even if they say they do benefit from Prop Twenty Two, when I say how or do you know why you even get Prop Twenty Two, they say no. They have no idea what AB Five is. You're right. Maybe they've heard it, but they don't well, know. Prop, what
2: it is. Yes, on Prop Twenty Two campaign, didn't they actually even mention the words AB Five? They just talked about we want to remain independent contractors in our industry yeah. you know and so that's there's just there's just so much confusion and and you know prop 22 is not the same thing as ab5 and vice versa and and prop 22 i mean really i think they just should have should have made the proposition to be about independent contracting and leave it at that yeah. and not you know write an entire new labor law around it because yep. there's it's bound there's to there's gonna bound to be problems down the line with what they're promising but you know um i guess they felt that they had to do that and they were probably pressured by the democrat elite in sacramento to come up with that because all the democrats elite were working on Prop 22 behind the scenes as I pointed out, Tony West, Anthony Fox, Lafonza Butler, um, Valerie Jarrett, David Plouffe, Barbara Boxer. Barbara Boxer was a former um, California U.S. Senator. She was on the, she was on the advisory board with Lyft and was was against AB5 and was, was promoting Prop 22 until AOC called her out on Twitter and started, es- eviscerating her and she backed down. But the Democrat elite are the ones in, Sacram- in in Silicon Valley who are behind the scenes of the inner workings of all of this, Prop 22.
0: So people be warned. You're not, you know, nowhere's a safe haven, I guess. Although Texas seems to be one for all you California people that are moving.
2: if <laughs> your labor laws out of Texas. <laughs> That's probably what they're saying.
0: So, (laughs) thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Karen, for your time. And uh, thank you, Steve. We'll see you guys soon.